Welcome back, everybody, to Rules of the Arena podcast. This is episode 78. I can't believe we made it this far. It's been a long journey, but a fun one. I just wanted to pop in real quick and give a quick note. I had some audio issues on my mic for the first, oh, about 15, 20 minutes, but not important. You can still hear Chris just fine and dandy, which, speaking of Chris, my guest this week, he is a host of the Passion Pod and owner of Eau Claire Local's uh, Passion Board Shop. Awesome dude. Really a lot of had a lot of fun chatting with him this week. I hope you enjoyed it as well. With that, I'll shut up and let's introduce him. Welcome back everybody to Rules of the Arena. I'm finally live for the first time in studio with me is Chris Johnson. He's the owner and founder of Passion Board Shop here in Eau Claire and also the host of Passion Pod. He's also a rival or a painter to rival that the skills of Michael. <laughs> his Instagram. I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> thank Chris, thank you for coming down, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I didn't get in a car accident somehow, so that's good. There's a bunch of snow right now, and I'm one of those notorious people that doesn't get snow tires. I just drive until my tires are totally done. In fact, I drive past bald, and then when one pops, I don't replace all four. I replace the one with another used one and keep it going. So, yeah, it's, but whatever. I made it through the little bit of snow, and here we are. Yeah, it's not too bad, little no, it, oh, we got yeah, yeah, no, it really isn't that bad, but it just for real, my car does, I don't have any traction <laughs> at all. So I just drove really slow. Everyone's whipping past me and I'm, yeah, but yeah, made it through the snow. It's really not that far though. I think it was like a 13 minute drive to this side of town. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine came to visit, um, from Santa Barbara the other night. He was, he was over in Madison. He'd never been in Eau Claire and he drove up to kick it for the night. Um, and he's like, Oh, how far away is this from this or whatever? And I said, I don't know, 10 minutes. And he goes, well, how far away are you? And I'm like, dude, straight up everywhere in Eau Claire is 10 minutes from each other everywhere. And then I told him which bar to meet me at like later that night. And he goes, dude, my GPS legitimately says exactly 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, it's not a big city. So it doesn't take that long. No, and it's uh, like I was saying before we went live, uh, I was living up north of eight for the last few years. Yeah. It's, it's nice. I'd like that I don't have to drive 45 minutes to go do or get anything that I might need. Yeah. I love up north though. I have a, a, a cabin up while it's my dad's property, but it was like our family cabin, you know, um, my mom was a teacher. So growing up before my parents got divorced and all that stuff, growing up, we would live up at my cabin and that's like, um, by cable, Wisconsin, kind of, you know, it's another hour and a half past rice Lake, but it's right on a lake in the middle of the woods. It's awesome. But yeah, I mean, even just doing laundry is like, you know, now it's your whole day. You got to go get groceries and go to the library and do all that other, you know, whatever being in the city. I, I love being out, but I'm, Oh, I think I'm always going to live in a city, not a big one. I don't like big cities, yeah. you know, but I think I'm always going to live in a city somewhere around this size, no smaller than Menominee. Cause I, I need to have everything convenient. I want it to be right there. I, I liked when I grew up in Hudson, I liked that I was 20 minutes from St. Yeah. Perfect. Sure. Lower town. Yeah. I lived over in Burnsville for a year and I honestly, like I moved there cause it was the whole, like, you know, as you get older, the big city's where it's at, you know? And so I moved out there and I found that like, I didn't do anything any more often now that I lived in the cities than I did before. Like anything you had to live in the cities for, I only would do something like that. Like go to a show, go to a museum every like two or three months anyways. So I'm like, why do I live here? You know, it was stupid. And I was driving back cause all my friends were here, you know, and I made friends out there, but I was driving back to Eau Claire. I don't know, every three weeks for a weekend. And I'm like, I hate this place. I want to be back home. So I'm like a super townie. I bought my parents bought my house in 92 when I was two years old. That was when like the big tire factory went 
went out of business and all the real estate got cheap. Uh, live in that house, you know, till I was 18, um, married my high school sweetheart, eventually got divorced later on, but whatever. Um, bought our first house over on the South side of town. And then when I got divorced, I bought the house I grew up in from my dad. So I'm like in the same house that I was in 30 years ago. You know what I mean? So my kids climb the same trees and yeah, I'm, I'm a super townie. That's what I call myself. Yeah. I don't know if I can do that. Like, like I said, I grew up in Hudson. Yeah. And I was at the end of my rope with it. it, it Hudson's a great town. Mm-hmm. It's just when I can walk down Main Street and tell people when they built that park bench or when the street yep. planted, it's like, okay. See, I take like pride in that. I love that. People come to visit and I'm like, and this is the guy who owns this thing. This one owns this thing. I saw this performance here. This person played here. Yeah. I, I eat that shit up. So <laughs> See, I just need a change of scenery for a little while. Sure. No, I like Eau Claire. Both my parents graduated from UW here. Cool. I'm a college dropout. So <laughs> went to school for business up at Duluth and I was a year in, I was on the Dean's list and I'm like, why am I doing this? Like I, I've been in sales for a long time at that point already. And I was like, you know, I, I want to either run somebody's store or own my own. Why am I going into debt? I can sell stuff. I don't need you to te- like why I got an A in calculus. Why? That's pointless. I don't need this or college writing. I'm like, I don't, I'm never going to write a paper with what I want to do with my life. I I know that for sure. And sales, it's like, you can just literally export your numbers and show somebody like, Hey, there's eight people that work at this store. I do 30% of the volume alone. You can assume I'll do 30% of your volume, which would, you know, then the numbers can all be worked out with calculus. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I I was in the same boat. I went for five years, technically. Sure. There's two years off. So you're a super senior and you didn't graduate? Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) Sure. Math more than anything. Oh, I was two years ahead in school. I didn't even like it, you know, but. two math classes just to get to freshman math. For me, math just like clicked. I always hated writing because it was open for interpretation. The teacher could decide if, if it was good. And I'm like, I don't, it's not up to you whether it's good, right? I didn't. I hated that aspect of it versus math was like, it's right or it's wrong. I can just study till I make sure that it's right. And then there's no question there. But that that's like comes into how hard headed I am in general. You know what I mean? That's like why I have to work for myself. Working for anybody else, I'm just like... I did fine, but I very much was that person where it's like, okay, give me a management position. All right. What needs to get done? Cool. I'll do it. Leave me alone. Like, don't, I don't, I hate when people hover over me. I hate being told what to do. I have like the biggest problem with authority, which is really funny because now I'm involved in city stuff and I work with people and it's like, I just, but yeah, anyone that, if you ask me to do something, I'll almost always do it. But if you tell me to do something, I'm like, no, (laughs) out of principle. Absolutely not. (laughs) But to go back the, to the board shop, starting your own business. Yeah. So why a skateboard shop and why Eau Claire? When I think skateboard, yeah. skateboarding, the culture, I want, you know, my mind shoots to California. Yeah, I mean, that's where the entire industry is, right? So, like, if you want to be a pro skateboarder, you pretty much live in California. I mean, the internet's changed that a bit, so now you can be in any really major big city, but the whole industry's out there. So, if you want to have a direct relationship with the brand, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to be with all the videographers and stuff, you you have to be out in California. Skateboarding's a massive industry, though. It's a huge sport. It's I would argue that it's bigger than most mainstream sports at this point, and it's only getting bigger for a plethora of reasons. But I started skating, and... 
I don't know exactly when, and I don't want to say it's because of the first Tony Hawk video game, but realistically, when that game came out, which was like 2000 or 99, somewhere in there, I was born in spring of 90, so I was nine or 10 around that age. Everybody wanted a skateboard. Right. Everyone had NFL Blitz, Super Smash Brothers and Tony Hawk Pro Skater one. It was just like a massively successful video game. So every kid had it. So me and along with every other kid, all of a sudden there was interest in wanting to ride a skateboard. So I begged my mom and I got a Walmart board that was horrible. My parents didn't like skateboarding at all. And so they wouldn't buy me stuff, but I would work and do chores or whatever, you know, to be able to buy stuff. So slowly I got different, better quality pieces to sub out on this Walmart board that eventually became an okay board. By the time I was 14, I would take the city bus home or take the city bus downtown to where the local skateboard shop was instead of going home. And that was like the clubhouse. Like we would all go down there and then go street skate, get kicked out of spots by cops, go back to the skate shop and bother the owners at that and be annoying, you know, beg them to for stickers and take out the trash for them or whatever, you know? So it was just like the, the, the lifestyle. I just loved it. That's where I really found a home. A big part of it too, is I played sports from when I was like five, you know, like every year I always was in soccer and basketball and tennis and like all that stuff. And basketball is the one I play a lot. When I got to high school, I just knew even on JV, I wouldn't even, uh, there's no way I was going to make the team. It didn't matter how much I played. I just wasn't good at it, you know? And I had played every year, but I just like of, of the five kids on your middle school team, which there's three school or three teams for each grade for each middle school. So I was like the third or fourth best on that team. So I was like, this, I can't, I'm just not gonna be able to play. Right. So it's like, well then what do I want to do? That's when skateboarding really took over and I really found a home with it. And then I never stopped skating. You know, a lot of people, as they get older, they get a car, like, you know, a girlfriend money. Cause they get a job. Like those things take interest in me. Yeah. I, those things took interest, but skateboarding, really maintained is like the thing I wanted to do. That's how I expressed myself. I didn't do art or anything else. It was just skateboarding is what I did. And so as time went on, went to college, still skateboarding, you know, and then I moved my way up through different sales jobs and I was working at K jewelers. And then I was the assistant manager of the Hellsbrook diamonds in town. Then I got a job working for Verizon and I was the assistant manager there making way too much money and just serving the devil is horrible. And I'm not even religious. It's just, you just feel like garbage when you know you're helping a company that makes the world worse, you know, and I wasn't greasy. It's just you, everyone who works there, what they tell you to do is greasy. I've never been in the cell phone industry, but I've heard that. It's horrible. And I feel bad because I work for big, bad, big, bad corporate, but here I have podcasts that it's all about small business, but. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. I was talking to my dad today. I was, I was Skyping him. He's down in Florida. I'm leaving on Monday to go hang out with him. And, um, he's like, you know, don't you sometimes just wish you had a nine to five. And I'm like, you know, the thing was though, is it's like really what it came down to. Um, I was 23 when I opened my store. Right. And I was at this point where my, my older daughter was one or about to turn one. And my, uh, my parents split up. My dad had a horrible heart attack and should have died somehow didn't ended up getting a heart transplant. And there's all this like existential life things. Right. And so it made me kind of think like, well, if I died tomorrow, would I be stoked with what I left behind? Would I be cool with it with my kids to know what I've, or my kid to know what I had spent my time doing. And the answer in my mind was no, I'm embarrassed by what I do. I make good money but I know that I make the world worse and it, I hate that. Right. And, and like I said, I wasn't any worse than anybody else, but Verizon as the employee, when they come in, my job is to get you to commit to monthly payments. You probably can't afford for things you don't need. 
that's my job. Right. So I knew I hated it and uh, several other things kind of lined up, but the big driving thing was I want to do something that if I were to die tomorrow, I would feel proud of how I spent my time. And then it really made me think back to, I'm still skateboarding this whole time. Right. Made me think back to that clubhouse feel that I had at the old skateboard shop that used to be in town, which was called Underloud, And it went out of business years, you know, a long time before I opened mine. But I remember that feeling of like, that was my safe haven, cool space. That's where I love to be around. And I, I you know, I'm a parent still skateboarding and I'm like, I have more business sense than these guys did when they had that shop before I can open a shop and I can have it be like a clubhouse. I can have it be a community space where it's not about selling stuff, but I know what I'm doing with sales so I can make sure that I'm making money, but I can make this community space where I can kind of be a mentor to kids. And I know that I'm improving the community around me and other things happen. Like our first public skate park that we had been working on building since I was 15, I printed shirts that said, build us a park already <laughs> that we sold to raise money for the skate park that finally got built when I was, you know, 23 or whatever. So, but so that's our first public park finally got built, you know, and it was time where it was like, okay, we have a little bit of a skateboard scene here. There is no locally owned shop. Nobody else wants to step up and do it. <laughs> the timing's right for me, you know? So yeah, I opened that when I was 23 and that was kind of the point is I just wanted to build this cool community space that I loved when I was a kid, but do it in my own kind of way. And then it just worked, you know I mean? It helped that at the time I got married or I got uh, divorced a year ago. So at the time, you know, my ex-wife also had a job that wasn't just me. You know, we didn't live off her income. We kind of split bills, but by having two adults to pay for it, it was a little bit more possible. And we bought a house well under our means at the time, you know, we only had the one kid, not two. We didn't have nearly as many bills. So I was able to kind of jump in without the expectation of making a lot of money. And I took a huge pay cut, obviously right. like working from Verizon to selling skateboards. They're not, you don't make any money doing it really, you know? Yeah. As much vacation time as you want. You have unlimited funds. It's the freedom. It really is the freedom. And yeah, when people are like, yeah, you take vacation. I'm like, I don't have any money to go on vacation. What are you talking about? <laughs> I got to work all the time. When I opened my shop, it was April 11th, 2014. So it'll be eight years coming up. I worked seven seven days a week, 10 hour days every day, but Sunday, which I did a eight hour day from April 11th all the way until kids went back to school just cause I was like, I need to be able to get back in the green, you know? And I started with hardly any money cause I couldn't get a loan. So I took out two credit cards and maxed them out in order to buy inventory the little bit I could, you know? And, um, but yeah, so then it, I, I made it working my butt off and eventually, yeah, I broke even and I was in like a decent place and it slowly grew over time. Like most business owners, everything that I made went back into growing the business. So I didn't profit very much. I didn't take very much for my own personal self, but as time goes on, eventually, you build your business up, you know, and then you have a little bit of surplus money so you can do some things, but it tends to be when you get to that point where you can finally take a little bit of a break, your mind wants a new challenge and something else to do anyways. So then you commit to way too many things anyways. It never really slows down. At least for me, it hasn't. When you were in the process of getting, just getting open or in the idea stage rather, yeah. knowing that another shop failed, did that ever sit in the back of your mind? Um, no, because I mean, I skateboard shops fail constantly. They rarely make it five years. Most businesses don't make it five years. Skateboard shops certainly don't make it five years. Right. And the shop that existed before both the guys who owned it, it was two guys that, well, it went through several ownerships, but when I hung out there all the time, it was these same two guys. It was uh, Julian twin and Anthony Cappadona. And they both like had you know, like bartending and waiter jobs. Like that's how they paid their bills. And then they hung out at the skateboard shop. 
but I had been in retail then for a while by the time I was going to be opening it. And so I could look back on, okay, well, they didn't hardly sell any apparel before. There's no profit margin in the boards. You don't, the markup is hardly existent at all. Right. But if I print my own t-shirts with my branding, now all of a sudden people are billboards for me all around town and they're going to pay me to do it. Right. And they're going to buy them and I can get a really good profit margin on them. So I knew like I could push apparel sales to go along with it and that would kind of make it work. Plus I've just always been involved in community things. I'm a very being in sales. I'm fairly good at talking to people versus most skateboard shops are run by skateboarders that didn't know what else they wanted to do. Not necessarily people, people, not necessarily any of any idea how money works or anything. And I'm not trying to talk down about them, but their skill sets weren't really there for owning a retail business. My skill set was there and I already knew everybody that skateboarded in town. Like I said, I'm a super townie that like the, the little park got built right. And me and some of the other adult uh, adults that still skateboard through a contest and I got second in like expert or whatever. Right. And I skated that park every day with all those kids. Mm -hmm. So when I wanted to open a shop, I could just tell everyone, Hey, I'm going to open this. So you guys are all going to get your boards from me. Right. And they're like, hell yeah. I want to go. Like we're going to get a shop. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So my opening day, I didn't have very much merchandise because I have any money. Uh, but I sold like half my store opening day and I didn't advertise heavily. I just knew all the skateboarders in town, you know? So from the get go, it just, there was so much community support because everybody wanted to have a core shop because it's kind of known everywhere in the country, your course skateboard shop. I mean, people just have an attachment to it, like a, a sports team or something. It's your shop. You know, it's not mine. It's, it's, it's the community shop. You know, if you go to like the twin cities, people are loyal to third layer skateboard shop. Like that's their shop or cow surf or familia. Or if you go up to uh, Duluth, there's damage board shop and like people are protective of it. They that's their like home, their place. So when I was going to open it and they knew it was another skateboarder in town that was going to do this, they knew what to expect. And that's what everyone had been wanting. Like I said the the previous skateboard shop had closed f- five years plus before that. So people were begging to have what I was trying to do. The thing is, it's just not a lucrative thing, you know, like you're never going to make a lot of money selling skateboards. I mean, that's why I'm closed right now. I close for January and February every year. Cause I don't make any money. I spend more money on heat than I make from sales. There's, I would say when the first five years of business, I was open January and February, half of the days, at least not a single person would come through the door. It's a standalone building covered in snow. You don't need skateboard stuff. You know, like you're going to buy it just to have it sit in your closet. No, you gotta, you're going to spend your money on something else, you know? So, but yeah, it's been going now for a long time. Like I said, it'll be eight years in April already, which is kind of crazy to me. Does the skateboard popularity or industry kind of ebb and flow with the, you know, if it's trending, you know, like you're saying, Tony Hawk, I remember playing Tony Hawk pro skater at the, at the yep. MCA on Friday nights in middle school. And then yep. it seemed to kind of die off at least in Hudson for a little bit. Um, like few, but then yeah. it surged with, um, uh, what's his name? Bam. Yeah. Bam Margera. Yeah. That, I mean, it does anything that has to do with major pop culture. I mean, look at like how chess sales went up ridiculous amount when the Queens Gambit TV show got hot on Netflix. Right. So that does happen certainly. Um, and there's been eras of it. The Tony Hawk video game series was like a big one. Right. And then it was Bam Margera and the whole jackass thing, the whole CKY. That was a whole huge thing for a while. You saw the little hardogram like him logo thing everywhere right so you saw a bunch of that and then after that it was the ea skate video game series 
when the Xbox 360 came out, that was a massively successful video game series. So there's a whole bunch of people that were on that. Um, and then after that street league came out, you know what I mean? So now all of a sudden there was like, instead of watching basketball, there's like this skateboarding tournament that's on major television networks that's everywhere. And then obviously as social media got big, Instagram is overloaded with things like that. Right. So the, the popularity did ebb and flow a little bit. And yeah, I think after the Tony Hawk games, it, it slowed a little bit and there's been a little bits, but it's all been moving up. It hasn't really been like a line that's going down and coming back up, ebbing and flowing that way. It's more like it's going up kind of like the stock market in that kind of way. Right. So it was still steadily growing popularity for kind of a lot of reasons. One that I think people don't think about is it's an easy thing. It was a poor kid sport for a reason, right? Because you can just pay a hundred bucks or whatever, or even get used stuff, drop your kid off at the skate park, or even just say, go skate the streets. And it's free for them every day. You don't have to be there. You don't have to get a coach. You don't have to buy anything. It's just, you can just go do it. Right. Well, people used to work nine to five, man. Like parents don't really work nine to five very often anymore. That's the nine to five has become less and less common on top of it. Try to make a living off one income and pay for kids. And it's not really doable, not off one job. Even if you have a good nine to five, now you're working a bartending job in the evening as well. Right. So because of that, when people work nine to fives, that meant after work, they could take their kids to basketball practice, the basketball games, you know, they could drive for the, the games when you'd have to go over to Chippewa or to Hudson or wherever you had to drive your kids to games. And not just that for tennis or for any of these types of school sports, parents had to be available after school to take them to their things. Parents aren't available to do that anymore, not at the same consistency. And that's getting less and less and less because jobs just don't need to be nine to five. So much stuff's online that that can kind of be any hours of the day because of e-commerce and people working remotely. People are working for companies in New York, which means the hours are different. And you know what I mean? So because of that, things like skateboarding where it doesn't need to be an hour, it can be any time. You can get your kid a skateboard and it doesn't really matter what time you're working. They can go do that after school. They can go straight, you know, take the bus, go to the skate park and it's free and they can be there until it's dark. Anything like that is gaining in popularity significantly and is going to keep going up in popularity. So, and then obviously things like the Olympics being the next, the latest huge boost mm-hmm. makes a massive difference. If you looked at like the snowboarding industry, girls didn't snowboard before. Not that much. Right. And then after the Olympics happened and there were females snowboarding in the Olympics, go to any snowboard hill around here and almost anyone under the age of 30 girls and boys are all on snowboards. Right. So the industry went huge on that side of it. That is happening with skateboarding right now. And I have two daughters, so I'm stoked. I'm like waiting until they want a skateboard. They each had a board when they were two and just like they want to be in dance, which is fine. But like I want them to skateboard, but whatever. But but because of that, that's a, a huge boost now all of a sudden to say half of your population now all of a sudden feels like they can be a part of that industry. That's that's a big opportunity, right? And then we've been raising money for a new skate park since that other one got built, which now is nine years ago. Well, we finally are getting that park built this summer and it's not a coincidence that it's less than a mile from where my shop is. So we're going to have a nice, much bigger, still not huge, but a nice bigger free public park real close to my shop. So things are definitely on the up, you know what I mean? Which part of it's just industry things, but there's other stuff that goes along with it for sure. Yeah. And I, when I listen to your show, uh, listening to your show, if I noticed that you kind of create that, you know, like you're talking about that community center. Yeah. Not just with the skateboarding. Right. I remember her name now. 
she made the, the noodle slide, was it? Oh, yeah, Brooke Newmaster. Yes. Yeah. It was an awesome. It's like, God damn it, why can I have lived here back then and actually know about that? She's so cool. She's still there. She still uh, has a studio next to me. She does uh, teaches traditional Korean dance and drum. Yeah. There we go. Sorry, you're saying. Um, uh, yeah, I guess you're asking about Brooke. So Brooke, uh, she still owns the studio next to me. She teaches uh, traditional Korean dance and drum and she performs in like big music halls and stuff in Chicago and LA. And she, she does a lot of cool stuff, but she's just involved in a lot of community things. But uh, Eau Claire's downtown is very much community driven. It's not just me. It's all the business owners. There's, it's like a whole big collective. There are a couple triggers to that, I think. Um, cause I've been around forever in this area. So I've seen all of it, you know, downtown was not the happening place when I was skateboarding there when I was 15, it wasn't. And volume one wasn't really a thing yet. I think the big catalysts were Royal Credit Union built their huge, you know, home office downtown and built Phoenix Park. So on the confluence where the rivers connect, there's a, a massive park system that's just gorgeous. And there's a... Is that right next door to Pablo Center? Um, yeah, the Pablo Center, the art center is across that walk bridge. Yeah. That walk bridge got built like a year ago or two years ago. So that's new. But but the, the other park, yeah. So there's, uh, you know, the, the big um, circle labyrinth thing. That's where they have music in the park and stuff like that. They have their farmer's market down there. But anyways, all of a sudden we had a nice big place for community to come together downtown. Once you had that, it made people want to go do shows and have other things happen. So it was a combination of that being built and then volume one becoming a bigger entity where they are actually talking about community arts, business, local things. And so we had a place to gather and we had something that was promoting gatherings of local things. And I think those two together are what really started that ball rolling. And then everybody since then has just wanted to move downtown. I got, I got the place that I'm still in. It's the place I started my shop in still there. That place I went there cause it was cheap. I didn't go there cause it was a good spot. I went there cause it was cheap. And I'm like, well, you're not going to be stumbling past a skateboard shop and need a skateboard. You're Googling skateboard shop. You'll find me. I'm not too worried about it. I just want to be downtown. Right. Since then now I'm in like a happening spot that side of the river. We had Ramones that ice cream shop opened the hotel next to me used to be one of the worst hotels in town. And it got completely gutted and you know Justin Vernon bought into it with uh, Nick Meyer who owns volume one bought in a couple other investors bought in so now it's the Lakeley and Oxbow it's like one of the fanciest hotels and then Becca who uh, Becca Cook who's running for Congress she opened uh, Red's Mercantile which is like a, a female boutique kind of liberal feminist store super cool actually but that's next door to me she opened after I did Brooke got there after I did so everything's been expanding over on this side and now it's cool it wasn't that cool initially but now it's cool but that's where everyone wants to be man i mean the mall who wants a store in the mall anymore everyone wants to be downtown that's where all the community stuff is happening if you look at what music in the park well you weren't here i guess but music in the park which is every thursday uh down in phoenix park you can't park for blocks and blocks away there's a ton of people there look at even just the way the farmer's market looks like and and you're seeing it after covid where it's not like it was it there's a ton of people that are going down there. So it's when you, it's like a, a, it's like a spiraling effect upwards of as more people gather for something, people go, Oh, that's hot. I want to be over there now. Cause all the cool people are doing this. And now 
now that I joined, look, now there's even more people there. Now I'm going to be there and it, everyone wants to be a part of it now. So yeah, the, the downtown culture and community, it's like that for my store, but it's the entire downtown. All of Eau Claire is like that. We're very forward thinking in that kind of way, more than most cities our size, I think. And like I said, I think the big triggers were volume one in Phoenix Park. Yeah. No, I remember coming here as a kid and really just only seeing campus. Yeah. Heavily the both were music teachers for my mom was for 42 years. My dad still teaches. Sure. So going to going to see the bands play at this university and jazz fest, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, in college, of course, I did Water Street with you know, mm. all the other idiots in, as we do in college. Yep. And then coming down here, I still had that idea of that's what Eau Claire is. Sure. You got the college town, and then you got the folks that aren't in college, and they don't want to be part of the college town. Yep. It's kind of the culture for Denver Falls, where I went. But then I, the first day I came down here was back in end of October. Okay. It was kind of, I was transitioning into my new position, trying to find a place to live, and it's like, I'm not going to drive an hour home and make dinner. It's late. I'll just go down. Hey, look, district has a fish fry. Let's go check that out. Yeah. And from there, <clears throat> you know, just right across Powell Center, and I just noticed that there's like five or six people, and it's October, and it's kind of chilly out, but they're still out skateboarding. People are taking photos and doing whatever in that little yeah. right there. It's like, oh. Maybe it's a little bit different than, than I thought. It really is. The city put all their money into it. We're paying a lot of taxes. Taxes went way up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, really before we, I like to say we have two downtowns in Eau Claire, right? We have Water Street area, that side of the river, and that's where the university is. Therefore, all the businesses over there are kind of catered towards the university students, all the restaurants, all the bars. It's just kind of like a college kid area. All the, all, all the houses over there are rentals for college kids. On the other side of the river is Barstow Street, and there's more than just Barstow, obviously, but that's the main one. Yep. I always tell people, like, that's the cool young professional area. That's where all the arts are. That's where anything, uh, maybe respectable is the wrong word, but something, you know what I mean? That's where, like, the city's heart really is these days. Because Water Street still, it's college kids that have moved here that may or may not stay here. It's not the heart of the city. You know, it's its own, like, thing. Yeah. Barstow is really where everything is really, really happening as far as Eau Claire people who live here, people who care about Eau Claire, all that stuff happens down on Barstow. Barstow was not happening though 15 years ago. A lot of those businesses were open, like those storefronts. There weren't businesses doing well downtown. It was pretty empty. I mean, even like where you were talking about now, where the Pablo Center is, where skateboarders are always down there, that plaza, dude, that was like a gravel parking lot not that long ago. No shit. Really? It really huh. wasn't that long ago that that's what it was. It's They they renovated that whole area. They bought up the property that was there and they made it really cool. But I would love to see pictures of it five years ago because it, it wasn't anything there at all. You know, even the bridge that you were just talking about, seriously, that's like a year or two old. Maybe sure. it's super recent. What, what's what's been the change with the community? I mean, what was the spark? Do you think? I mean, you've been here. Yeah. Like I said, I think it started with the volume one and in, in, or the volume one and Phoenix Park, because once you had that, now everyone wanted to be a part of that in some kind of way, right? Business owners want to be where all the people are going. Well, volume one and people love them or hate them and they don't know, no entity's perfect. So they got plenty of their own faults and stuff too, but still they kind of push the whole idea of you want to shop local. You want to support local people because they're the ones that throw these local events. They're the ones that do all this type of stuff, right? So when all of a sudden you had all these people gathering downtown, then people are like, okay, 
I want my business down here as people move their businesses down there. And all of a sudden the people who actually have money and influence are downtown. They're looking around at opportunities and saying, well, if we have this many people in this park, we could probably have a lot of people right over there. That property is probably not that expensive and it doesn't look that nice. We should make that look nicer. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just the sidewalks and stuff, like it was not cheap for us to do that nice, like brick sidewalks all, all up and down uh, Barstow. There's all that fancy, nice brick, all those new light poles. They have Converge Radio, the radio station that I'm on, or one of the two um, are playing all the time too. So we got music going all mm-hmm. the time and they light it all up. It's, it's as people started going down there, more people want to be there. People are like, okay, well, everyone who's cool is down here. We should make this place cool, you know? So that, that's just where they put all their money. I mean, the art center, the Pablo center you're talking about, that was like $13 million or something, you know? And the, the unfortunate part was it was built with the intention of huge social gatherings (laughs) that then couldn't happen right after it was built. COVID kind of threw a wrench into that for everybody. Uh, yeah, that was a, a, still is a massive wrench and everything, but how did you fare through all that? I know a lot of course, everybody sees, the numbers that Amazon pulled during all that. Dude, they took everything. Yeah. You know, you got to think, you think of like, man, I can't believe the stock market's doing okay with everything that happened. (laughs) It's like, well, (laughs) hold on. It's because small businesses couldn't be open. Everyone had to go to big corporations. They're the ones who you will hold stock in. So obviously the stock market did well. Everybody else got smoked. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, I had a lot of the same problems everybody else did. I tried to, you know, I, I filed to try to be considered essential. You know, bike shops could be because there's transportation. I sell longboards and stuff. So tried that, got denied. So I couldn't be open um, and, and get this. So I split up with my ex-wife two days before the shutdown. She moved out of my house and 48 hours later, my kids are gone, my wife's gone, and my business is closed for who knows how long. Horrible. <laughs> when I finally reopened, you know, six weeks or whatever later, dude, things, the way that America's set up, we don't care where things are made. We just care about what profit we can get off stuff. Yeah. That's that's how we're brought up to believe, right? So because of that, every industry, there's stuff, you, I'm sure you're familiar with where you are too. If it's cheaper to have it made in India, it's being made in India. If it's cheaper to have it made over in China, it'll, it'll be made there, Bangladesh or wherever. So, but then when all of a sudden things can't travel, you know, people didn't understand that. Yeah. It's like, okay, so part of the reason you can get stuff from China is because so many people are flying from America to China. And in those cargo holds aren't just your suitcases. They're transferring a bunch of merchandise. Yeah. That's how things come in and out of the country a lot, right? If you're not going to Cancun on vacation, nothing's flying up from Cancun either. So people aren't traveling around. Therefore, there's a huge shortage in anything that's made overseas. Big factories to make things like the, the pieces on like parts, right? Just in the same way you couldn't get Harley parts. Couldn't get stuff for pools you know for skateboards the trucks which is like the axle on the bottom that's yep. how it turns those steel they're they're none of them are manufactured in america they aren't so when all of a sudden no one's traveling we couldn't get them people say well we'll just build another factory <laughs> We're just going to build another factory yeah. in six months. It doesn't work that way. It's no. going to take several years to get that going. By then we would have assumed COVID was over. And right. now what did we spend all the money for? So that was the problem is I was closed for six weeks during my busiest time of year. I probably make two thirds of my money in the course of three months, you know, just right between April, May, June, everyone, it's nice out. They want to get their longboard for the year. 
they need to get their new skateboard stuff for the year. And yeah, people still buy stuff the rest of the year, but spring is when it, I'd sell a lot of stuff. So I'm closed for six weeks of my busiest season. And then when I reopen, I can't get merchandise and not even like the selection I want. I just can't get any. Yeah. There was there. I think there were four separate weeks during that year, during that season where I didn't have enough parts to build a skateboard at all. Like zero wheels at all. It was so bad that even the Zoomies in town, which for people who aren't familiar, Zoomies is a big mall chain that's corporate. Yep. 600 some stores. They're like a lifestyle store. They play it off as a skateboard shop because they sell skateboard stuff, but realistically all their money comes from their branded apparel and footwear and yep. whatever. But but they're the cash cow of the skateboard industry. They're massive, right? They couldn't get parts. If they can't get parts, no one's getting parts. They were sending people from their store to come down to my shop, which they're not trying to do that because right. I'm obviously the real competition for anything that has to be with that. But they were sending all their people down to my shop to buy the rest of the parts that they didn't have. When people would come buy a skateboard from them, they'd have some of the parts, they'd sell them and say, okay, go over to Passion to get the rest because we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Which was cool, except then I'm going to run out of stuff right away, too. Right. So yeah, that was the big part. And that m continued to be an issue. It's still an issue. Yeah. I now can always get enough stuff to build skateboards, but I, things take way longer to get to me. Stuff that I used to be able to order and have the next day. Now I order it might be here in a week, might be two weeks. So I'll run out of stuff. You know, the next day shipping has become next week shipping. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and a lot of products that are the, the brands people want, you know, same way somebody wants this pair of Jordans, like people want this skateboard wheel, this specific one. I can't special order stuff anymore like that. And all the really popular stuff is just never available. So it is a lingering issue. It's just less of an issue than it was. But on the flip side, I got to interview a lot of people that probably would not have had time or wanted to give me the time for an interview because they weren't doing anything because of COVID. Right. You know, I had Lamorne Morris on my show from New Girl. That's like the most mainstream famous. <laughs> right. He's big. He's got his own TV show now. It has its second season. He's been in movies with Vin Diesel and everybody. That dude, I, I, he's really nice. Maybe he would have. But realistically, I got to go kick it at his house and interview him because he was like, well, I'm not doing anything else anyways right now. Yeah. How did the podcast even come to be? Like, how did it go from concept idea to you actually doing it? Mm. So I was the guest on somebody else's podcast, like a skateboarding podcast called um, Locals Only Podcast. It was like a Minneapolis skateboarding kind of show. It was actually sure. recorded in Burnsville, but it interviewed people in the Midwest for skateboarding things. I owned a skateboard shop in the Midwest, so I got to be a guest on the show. And I went there and had an awesome time. It was really fun. Um, but we were drinking beer before we started recording. We were taking breaks to shotgun beers. <laughs> they didn't have questions lined up or anything. It was just yeah. very, like, not professional, which was fine. It was a good time. I had a great time. But me in the business mind, I'm like, I know how to do things professionally, you know, and uh, I could do this. I'm comfortable on a mic. I, I wasn't initially, of course, but through the years, I've always thrown events, right? The first year that I threw, when you own a business, you do a ton of community stuff. Like you have to, if it's like expected and I yeah. love doing it, but you just part of it, right? So I throw skateboard contests and stuff. The first skateboard contest I threw the first year I was open, I realized really quick, I don't have anybody to be the MC on the mic. <laughs> like who's gonna be the announcer of the, of the contest? No one else wants to do it. 
I have to do it. Right. So I'd already kind of been on mics and stuff and been used to that. Do this podcast. I'm like, man, this was really fun. I think I could do it better. I'm like, no offense to these guys, but I, I just think I could do it better because I would take it seriously. Mm-hmm. So I had the idea in my mind for a while that I wanted to do one. But it just hadn't really come to fruition, right? And as time went on, maybe another two years in or something, um, my shop was gonna, you know, was turning five or had already turned five. And I was kind of at that point of like, I kind of want something else to do. Like, I want some other challenge. I don't want to get rid of my shop, but I want to do some more things, right? I was talking to Miles Boulevard, which we talked about off mic. Um, he was my first ever guest. And I had run into this thing where passion is my brand, right? So it's not just passion board shop. It's not just passion pod. It's just passion. So I'd run into this problem where most of my friends had gotten older and don't skateboard anymore because being over 30 in skateboarding is very rare. Like I do, but that's rare. Right. And they would a lot of times tell me I would wear your merch, but I don't skate. So I'd feel like a poser. (laughs) Which I don't think any kids say poser, anymore, right. but that's what we used to say, <laughs> yeah. right? And I'm like, well, you don't have to skate to support a small business. I'm right. your personal friend. You can just wear my brand. But that was the idea. It was like, well, I can't wear a core skateboarding store's thing because I don't skateboard. I'll be made fun of. And I'm like, well, no one's going to know who this is, so that's stupid. But still, I was like, how do I combat that? Well, I was talking to Miles Boulevard. Honestly, he had been kind of telling me to listen to his music forever, and I just never did because <laughs> I wasn't super into local music, especially at that point in time. But uh, come on, how many little white kids that rap in your town are going to be good? <laughs> right. Most of them aren't, right? So I, ne- I just didn't listen to it. Finally did, and I was like, this guy is a lot better than I was expecting. This is tight. I actually really like it, you know? So I talked to him, and I'm like, hey, what do you think about being like a brand ambassador for my shop, for my brand you know so like wear passion branded merchandise at shows to kind of show people like it's not about skateboarding specifically it's anything that you're passionate Mm -hmm. about and he was like dude i would love to do that apparently i had sold him his first skateboard years prior and i didn't remember but you know because it's you know it's like teachers right you remember your teacher that teacher has hundreds of kids how they're gonna remember everyone you know i'm the guy who owns a skateboard shop so kids remember me yeah how many people walk through your door i can't remember all of them offhand but but anyways um i was like cool um well, let's do that. But like, I want to get to know you. I don't really know you at all. So you want to come hang out at my house, like have a couple beers and chat. And he's like, yep. So, and I say kid, but he was over 21. So chill. <laughs> but anyway, so he came over to my house and we, I don't know, had two, three beers, kicked it for a couple of hours. And I interviewed him, not on purpose. That's just kind of what it was. Cause you're going to be wearing my brand and representing it. I want to know about you. And I interviewed him. And at the end I was like, man, I honestly, I've had an idea for a podcast for quite a while and this would have been a good one. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, what do you think about like coming over in a week and trying to re-record this conversation? (laughs) And he's like, sure. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to use it, but you know, if you're down with the intention of, we'll just have fun, have a couple beers. And if I don't use it, it's fine. He's like, yeah, that's totally fine. Cool. So he came over a week later. I put my laptop between us, audacity, just the internal microphone. I actually have a picture of us like by my fireplace doing it. Um, but with the laptop between us beers record and recorded it. And it was just like way better than I thought. (laughs) Like I thought it would be trash and it was not as hard as I thought it was going to be, which that's anything with business, right? Is like people build things up to be much more difficult than they are to be successful at something's very difficult to just do it. 
not that difficult. Right. And so anyway, so we recorded it and I listened to it after and I'm like, huh, this is like actually kind of good. Like I could do this. So I hit up another friend of mine, Sarah Morris, who owns this company called Eau Claire Pet Care, um, because I knew what I wanted the show to be about already. Yeah. You know, that was the point of having him wear the brand was because I wanted to expand upon that idea. And so I told her the same thing. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to use it, but I have this idea for a show. I just recorded one. Do you want to come over? At the very least, we're just hanging out. She's like, yeah, totally. I got you. So she came over. We recorded it. And uh, it was better than I thought. You know, I'd written questions for this one. Still had a couple beers, which is a mistake. But I'd <laughs> written questions and prepared, right? And so it turned out way better than I thought it would. Well, then I was throwing a big uh, fundraiser event. Um, a skateboarding fundraiser event um, where it was like a March of Dimes thing where I had people commit to a quarter for every mile we were going to skate. And there was 10 of us that skated 26 miles like in one day. It was pretty nuts. And we raised like $5,000 for this thing or for the skate park. But but anyways, um, my one friend uh, who did the Locals Only podcast, his name is Mitch, kept in contact. He said he wanted to come do this fundraiser with me. And I told him, I was just talking to him and I mentioned, you know, that I just started recording. Dude just gave me his recording equipment. Oh, shit. Yeah, he had stopped doing the, that Locals Only podcast a while before that. It wasn't super expensive equipment by any means, but he's like, yeah, I'll come to town. I'll give it to you. I'm like, well, that was a sign, I guess. The <laughs> universe wants this. So he gave me his mixer board and his mics and whatever and showed me how to, to work them. And then from there... I recorded with more guests and I had the idea that really anyone who knows anything about business, it's not just about the product. Yeah. It's about how you release and market the product. If you don't market it well, it's not going to do well. There's plenty of things that are not cool, but the way they market them, look at penny boards. Those things are stupid. They're way <laughs> overpriced. They're tiny little bendy plastic garbage. They're hard to ride, but they'd sell well because they're marketed well. And that's, right. there's a lot of things like that, right? Pogo sticks, stupid idea, <laughs> but they were huge, right? When we were growing up. Anyway, so I had the idea of like, I want this to be like an album. I'm going to do 10 episodes where each guest represents a different kind of industry. Cause the point is you can listen to the show. Doesn't matter what you're passionate about. Doesn't matter. You can, p- you can p- pick things, excuse me, from different guests and say, well, I could use this tip. This person gave me for this industry. That applies to me. That applies to me from this one. That applies to me. And those things then will help you to be able to pursue your own thing. So I picked 10 guests that would be from different industries um, and just recorded through all of them. And I actually did go back again and recorded that conversation with Miles Boulevard a third time <laughs> um, just because I wanted them all to sound decent. Right. And I re-recorded with Sarah as well. So record a full 10 episode season, edited the whole thing myself, and then gave myself a month to market and promote it before I released anything. And this is what I do when I'm trying to get something done. I cast a net and I just throw feelers out there of like, I'm trying to do this. Who knows how to do this? What can I do? And so there's this uh, show called Thrasher Radio, which you're familiar with Thrasher Magazine, the big skateboard entity. Yeah. Everyone knows it. Um, it's like their podcast kind of thing that uh, the, the editor who had passed now, RIP. Uh, Jake Phelps used to do where it was like a it's like a podcast but then the guest picked songs through the show so it was like a radio show sure I wanted my show to be like that because not specifically because of that, but I thought it was really cool to hear people's song choices. I thought it was a cool way to connect with people. So when I recorded, I asked each guest to pick three songs throughout the show. 
Well, then after I'm done editing everything, I'm, I'm like, well, I can't, I can't put this on Apple or anywhere. Talk to my brother-in-law who's on my second season. That dude's crazy. He just sold his first uh, major script. Yeah. He, when I interviewed him, my brother-in-law, he's out in California. He had just sold his production company to try to write full-time his dreams to, to win an Oscar, right? He'd never sold a script. Not that long ago, he sold his first script and the main actors in the movie, because it's getting made, the director's already won an Oscar and the main actors are Al Pacino and Morgan Freeman. No shit. For his first movie. Insane. Yeah. So that's crazy. But anyways, I called him and I told him what I was doing. And he goes, well, you know, you can't use the music, though. And I'm like, well, you, no, you, there's got to be a way to use the music. And he's like, no, you really can't unless you got music rights from everyone, which obviously isn't going to happen. I'm like, well, no, I'm the type of person <laughs> where, like, I don't care. If, honestly, if somebody else has already done it, it's too easy and you're not going to be unique, you know. So I don't I, just because somebody hasn't done it. I don't take that as it can't be done. I'm just like, OK, well, how do I do it then? Because I want this done. So I'd kind of cast the feelers out of like, I want music on my show. How do I do that? Like somebody help me out and figure this out. And one of my friends came into my shop and she was um, working at Converge Radio, which is like our local independent station. She's like, well, why don't you just have it on the radio? And I was like, I hadn't considered putting it on the radio. <laughs> She's like, well, and you don't have to have music, right? We just play it. This sounds like something we might play. And I'm like, dope. So she put me in contact with um, the guy who was in charge of the radio station at the time, the station manager, Scott Morfitt, who still is associated with us. He doesn't run it anymore, but super cool dude. And uh, he's like, yeah, give me a couple episodes. So I sent him a few of the episodes. He listened through and he's like, yeah, we can totally air it. So from the very first episode ever, my show premiered on the radio locally, which that really then gave me leverage when I'm pitching to try to get guests. Hey, I own a business in town. I have this whole first season with these people that can vouch for me and it's on the radio. Well, I mean, if you live locally, it's kind of like an hour long radio advertisement for your business. Right. You know, like how, how are you going to say no? You'd be stupid. Of course you're going to say yes. <laughs> so once those episodes started coming out, I know how social media works. So I kind of worked the Instagram and stuff It started to pop off. And then, you know, it just became easier and easier to get guests. And as that goes on, you meet one person who introduces you to somebody else yeah. who introduces you to somebody else. And it just spreads from there. And then eventually you're out in LA interviewing Lamar and, and <laughs> hanging out. And it's like, sick, dude, this is going to be really good for the show. You ever find yourself this pinching yourself like i can't believe i'm actually interviewing someone of this caliber in this industry it's it's definitely odd you know um it, the the biggest one was scott lips who i told you about i think off mic he owns lips la which is a talent agency that represents david Guetta and lizzo and gucci main and a bunch of doja cat bunch of huge celebrities right again if it wasn't covid dude would not have given me time <laughs> anyways i was out in la and uh, my friend I was out there with, Max Meneker, um, on Instagram, his name's different now, it's Flow State Farm, but that's, that's a whole nother story. But anyways, I was out there with him, and uh, this person I was supposed to interview had to cancel last second, and I was pretty bummed, because she was like a pretty big name, um, especially at the time. I ended up getting her on the show like way later, which is funny. But um, she canceled, and I was pretty bummed, and he's like, well, I could just like, I'm trying to think of who else you could maybe interview today, and I'm like, I'd really like to interview somebody else today. And he goes, I, Scott's probably not I, there's, I doubt this one but anyways he sent him a text because he knew him and Scott goes send me an email so I sent Scott an email like quick pitching the show he asked me a couple more things about it within 10 minutes of emailing back and forth he goes 
Yeah, you got an hour of mine. Be at this address in Hollywood at 4.30. And it's like 3.30. I don't know anything about this dude. And I'm like, okay. So I quick, like, I'm trying to find stuff, download it to my phone so I know I pack up my gear. He didn't say he was going to give me an interview. He just said he'd meet me, right? right? But I bring my gear just in case. Get down there. It's at this place called The New House. And it's like a, you have to have a membership to go into this place. So we get in, we go in. And he's like, you cool with going to the roof? I'm like, yeah, sick. Like, I've never even been in Hollywood before. This is kind of tight. So we go up to the rooftop. And he's like, did you want to do an interview? I got an hour. And I'm like, if you're down, yes. He's like, sure. So, and you know, I'm interviewing on the rooftop and like he has his own pretty big podcast. This, I think his first guest was Randy Jackson. Like he's good friends with him. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of his first guests. Well, anyways, it's, it's this big thing where it's like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be interviewing this person. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the rooftop kind of talking to him about that. And I'm, yeah, I'm looking around, I'm listening to him talk, you know, about performing with Kanye West and all this stuff. And I'm on a rooftop in Hollywood of a private building. And I'm like, how did this happen? I don't belong here. I'm not part of this at all. That was that was for sure the first big moment where I'm like, huh. And the funny part is directly from there, I didn't go back to where I was staying. Directly from there, I got picked up and drove to Lamorne's house and did that interview. <laughs> and those were the last two interviews I did on my first trip out to L.A. So it was like ended that one on a high note. But, yeah, that was that that was the big one that was like a pinch me kind of thing and now i've gotten so desensitized it's weird yeah. I, I interviewed chris cruzy yesterday and he's not like massive but for our area everyone knows who he is oh, yeah, absolutely. you know and and he's definitely bigger than i am you know but i didn't think anything of it i brought brought a, a friend of mine to take some photos with and he was all like really nervous about it. he's like oh my god thank you so much for bringing me to you know meet chris cruzy and i'm just like <laughs> He's just a dude. I don't right. Know. He, We're having a conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I sent one email and he sent me his cell phone number right away. So I, we just, I don't, to me, I didn't think anything of it. I don't really listen to Chris's music. I mean, I will now a little bit just because he's the homie and he's super right. cool. But now I don't really think too much of it. There was a moment, it was back in like season four or five, and I've referenced it on my show quite a few times, that I, I went to interview this dude, Wayne Hoffman, who was like, at the time, one of the first re really successful people. Um, doesn't have like a big social media following, but he's one of the bigger illusionists in the world. He's huge in that yes, industry. Okay, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and whatever, got connected to him. And I, I was down in Florida, drove an hour to his house, and as I'm going there, I'm like, God, I hope I don't get nervous. This is the first time I'm interviewing a big person I don't really have a connection to. Not a real one, anyways. Really, what happened for that one is I was at this kava bar, and people name drop all the time to me. Because I'll talk about my show where I go places, and they'll go, I know someone for your show. I'm friends with this person. And I'm like, no, you're not. You know. But so <laughs> right. what I found to do is instead of question them, I put them on the spot. And I say, cool, your friend's on Instagram then. And they're like, yeah. And I say, cool, start a group chat. Ask them. And I put them on the spot, like, do it right now, because you said you would. And then they kind of have to, right? <laughs> so this cop attender who doesn't really know Wayne that well, set it up, whatever. But when I was going there, I pull up to this place, and this is one of those ones where, like, they had to scan my driver's license to get through the gate, you know, to get to, like, his area of this private, closed community. Sure. And I go up to his super nice house, and his, his fiance thinks I'm the one there to fix their solar panels <laughs> that only exist to heat their pool and I'm like sick dude but but anyways I sit down with them thinking I'm gonna be really nervous and I'm just not I'm like huh 
we just had a great, it's one of my favorite episodes. Dude's just super cool. And then I hung out with him for a little while after that. And I'm actually supposed to go kick it with him next week. Nice. Um, Cause I'm going to be going down there and we've kept in contact and bullshit or whatever. And I'm planning on driving up and hanging out around his pool actually with him, which is going to be sick. Um, but I remember I was, I did that interview and I was driving back to the Airbnb I was staying at. And I was like, man, this is so weird that I just didn't get nervous at all to interview this person. I didn't think anything of it. It was just whatever. I feel like I could interview anybody. And then really after that, I didn't, I didn't get nervous for anyone. You know, in fact, like Lamorne, I didn't know who he was until like right before that, this girl name dropped him to me. Like I'm friends with Lamorne and I'm like, I don't know who that is. She goes, you've never seen new girl. And I was like, no. And so she shows me him, you know, on Instagram and I'm like, dude's got a million. He's in a bunch of movies. Like, yeah. Set up a group chat, text him right now. (laughs) You know, and so she did or whatever, but I had never seen anything he was in. So I didn't know that much about it. Go to his really nice house. Dude's the nicest guy, but like, I don't have any perspective on it. I wasn't nervous at all. In fact, because I was just interviewed Scott lips on that rooftop an hour prior to me, I'm like, Oh, this dude, this is just chilling right. like, or whatever, you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it just doesn't, I think whenever you do whatever it is enough times you get desensitized to that type of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? I was a professional wallflower all through <laughs> middle school, high school, even most of college. At some point, I decided I just don't care anymore mm-hmm. in college. And the filter fell off between my brain and my mouth. Sure. But then I started doing the podcast yeah. and nervous wreck going into it. And to, as soon as the mic goes live, it's like everything's fine. But leading yeah. up to that, especially when I was driving from Spooner to Falls, I have sure. two hours where <laughs> half of me is that. trying to talk myself out of, oh, we got to find a reason to cancel. Like, no, we're just yeah. going to go. It's going to be fine. Sure. But now it's with the show I mean just recently uh, right right about as I was moving down here all of a sudden people start emailing me I'm like hey can I come on your show I'm like you you want it like Edwin Rojas sure I'm like, why do you want you just were working with Nicole Kidman why right. do you want to talk to some schmuck with a microphone out of Wisconsin <laughs> sure sure I mean you'd be surprised it, uh, honestly like it's not the intent isn't to promote somebody's business or product that is not the intent by any yeah. means but it is a second effect. So people are aware of that. If they have any business sense at all, they know that they're getting promotion out of it. So obviously like if it's also going to be fun, they're going to come on because they want to inspire people and they like what you're doing. It is a secondary effect if they also get free promotion out of it. Right. So it doesn't hurt them. I mean, if it's only costing them an hour of their time, even even if you only had 20 people that ever listened to the episode or something, dude, if, if, if that person was at a bar and 20 people wanted to listen to him talk, I'm sure he'd talk for you know an hour, whatever. Yeah. If yeah. 20 people want to listen, like, sure, that's a good number of people. You don't have to have 10,000 listens on every episode for it to be worth somebody's time, especially if they can just do it from their house or whatever. And the problem is, is, is after that, when you just get way too many requests that you can't realistically do them all. And you're like, well, I don't want to be mean, right? but like, I can't interview. I I get, that's where it's at with my show. And it's not, my show's not that massive or anything like that, but like I get several requests a day and I'm, I've made, if I put seasons out back to back to back, which I'd usually take short breaks between seasons because I'm not trying to rush it too hard, I'm at most coming out with them once a week. Mm-hmm. 
that means I'm having approximately what 21 people hit me up to be on the show every week and I'm doing one like so it's just that's where my problem is is I hate being the bad guy and people a lot of times will kind of go the guilt trip way of like this would be really helpful to me please do but and I'm like I <laughs> you know it takes me a long time to edit every episode I gotta do the so yeah you yeah. it's really nice when people start hitting you up until you have to start telling people no and you feel yeah. bad about it and I've had a few people that reach out to me they give me their pitch and I'm like ah, I don't know like so rules of the arena the theme is you know I try to have people on that are successful successful in their field yeah but aren't doing the nine to five gig sure because, I mean you can read a book take a class it's going to teach you how to work in sales for of example course, yeah. but you a business owner mm-hmm. there's stuff that you learn by running your own business yeah that I could have used when I tried to run my own mm-hmm that you don't get out of book or that you don't get out of a textbook or yeah. out taking class. It's yeah. that real life experience. And so it's like, and that's how this all started was I had sure. a, a business that had some success, but not enough to really say, Hey, cool. I made it. Sure. And I, and I was having a, a business meeting with myself uh, at the brewery that I worked at and just kind of mumbling to myself, like, how the fuck do you market a brand yeah. when you have a water budget and, you know, for Facebook and Instagram, the target ads are not cheap if you want to no. get anywhere. No. And my buddy next to me, he does trivia night. He goes, well, why don't you do a podcast? The fuck is a podcast? Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. He's like, oh, I have a studio. And we, you know, we shot the shit for like the next two, three hours as he's explaining how this all works. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So then spent a year cherry picking different shows and trying to figure out what I like, what I don't like. Mm -hmm. And originally it was supposed to be just business owners. And then I can't remember somebody. Yeah. uh, My buddy's wife said, Oh, you should have um, this guy Mike on and who later became my strongman coach. Oh, cool. And like, yeah, he'd be, sounds like he'd be fun to talk to. And then it turns out he was like the fifth at that year. He was the fifth strongest person in his weight class in the world. Wow. And he's living right there in River Falls and, you know, works out the same gym as me and stuff like that. It's like, Holy shit. yeah, Yeah, this would be cool. Yeah. And just kind of branched out into this monster that it has become. And yeah, but they're all entrepreneurs. Yeah. I say that about artists and athletes and cause they're, that's, I all include that on mine too. I mean, you may work for another entity, I suppose, but really you're your own brand. Like what you do, you could go do anywhere. You could do it totally for yourself. If you don't already, it's still owning a business. It's just an, it's just not a physical location, business, right. but you're still owning a business, right? Where's that line? Is there one? Are you a business if you only have a brick and mortar store? That's not no. true. Amazon's a huge business. Right. It's not brick and mortar. Okay, so then if it's not having an actual storefront, is it just selling product? Okay, well, anyone sells merch. So if I sell t-shirts that say something, am I a business now? <laughs> Technically, I guess, right? You know, if you're a, if you are a fitness instructor, you're selling a product. Yeah. So you, you own a business, you so know. With so. me, I've kind of pigeonholed myself and it's also a, a personal preference. I don't want to interview, interview anyone that's too big, you know. Sure. Everybody knows Mick Jagger, Rolling yeah. Stones. I'm not bringing anything to the table by talking to him. You can sure. Google or YouTube and there's a thousand interviews with them. Yep. I mean, do you worry about the same thing or is it just whoever you think you want to talk to? No, I don't think about it in that kind of way because I think that those people have really interesting um, experiences and you don't have to ask them the same stuff. 
You know, it, you'd spend a lot more time researching those guests before you do an interview yeah. if you want the interview to be good, which you want to do. You want the interview to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Because how you get a hold of people is through other people. And if you go and you do a really good interview with somebody and they're impressed by you, now they're comfortable connecting you with other people. That's how I'm connected with as many people as I have been because I'm, I do do Dylan. I mean, again, I have a business. I know what it takes to do a business, right? So I know that if I'm going to go interview this person, they've been interviewed a bunch of times before. What sets me apart? I need to be professional. I need to research, listen to all these other podcasts that this person has done, read the other interviews. So I know what questions have been asked. Like when I interviewed Chris Cruzy a couple days ago, right? I got there and in, I, I always have questions written out that I I'll reference if I really want to, but I, so I have a general plan of what I'm going to ask, you know, and depending on where the conversation's going, I'll come back to questions I have. Well, anyways, the beginning, because he tells the same stories on everything (laughs) all the time. Everybody wants to know about, was it American Idol or The Voice? Well, he was on The Voice, Yeah, but but the same, like his dad played guitar and he would play when he's camping. Like I heard that story on every interview ever. He tells the same stories, which is normal for people to do. So I started the interview by saying... I've listened to a lot of, you know, interviews with you and I don't want to ask a lot of the same things. I want to summarize your life real quick and I want you to double check me if I'm wrong on anything. He's like, okay. So then I quick for the course of maybe two minutes told all the stories that he tells on every other interview. <laughs> now you can't tell me those. I already told, I already know them. Don't use the same ones, <laughs> you know? And then I could go back and kind of go through things. But when I did that, it was funny. The look on his face after I did the little summary, he was like, yeah, uh, yeah, that was, that's a pretty good summary of my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd put the time in and that I think immediately then makes him go, okay, well now I have respect. You actually took your time. Now I'm going to value yours. Now we can kind of go further with this. People want to listen to those people talk. They have fans, but they want to hear questions that they haven't answered a million times. That's that's what you have to do with those types of people, right? Interviewing people who are new at what they're doing is cool, but you get a lot of the same stories as well, though, because there are a lot of the same problems because they're all the beginning problems. You know, somebody who's further along in what they're doing, they had the beginning problems probably right. at a different era, so they're different anyways, but they're facing different problems now, which are still relevant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you can look at somebody like Wayne Hoffman's a good example, really successful, dude doesn't know how to do social media. His social medias are numbers are nothing considering like he's been on Ellen DeGeneres and every other major show and he's got like 5,000 Instagram followers or something like something college kids had that, you know? Yeah. But it, just cause he doesn't know how to do that type of thing. So I could talk to his, him and hear his perspective on things like that. No one else asked him about that stuff. So yeah, I don't, I think in order to really grow a show, you have to get it in front of people, right? If you interview people who are willing to promote the show for you as well, even if it's just Instagram story posts and your thing, your show now all of a sudden like Lamorne, you know, he put my show on his story a few times. I don't know how many people look at his story, 10,000 people or more, a, a lot, right? Yeah. He's got a million some followers. So say somewhere 10,000 to 100,000, somewhere in that very large zone, see that. That many people now are aware that my show exists, even if it was a really small, like little blip in their mind that day, they at least heard about it. Mm -hmm. That's what gives the opportunity for them potentially to become a listener of the show. The point of my show is to inspire the listener to think about the things they're passionate about and help them find more ways to incorporate those passions into their lives to help them feel more fulfilled. 
the more people that listen to my show means the more likely and the more people are going to follow through with that and do things they really care about, which is going to make the world a better place. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that it's really important to me that the world is better because I'm in it. And it's not like not an ego thing. It's just, I want to very purposely try to make the world better in my own way that I can. Obviously not a saint. I got plenty of tattoos, right? <laughs> but, but I try to do things that I think benefit people. I think my show genuinely, I really do believe that it helps people and has the power to help a lot of people based on how many people listen to it. So, if I can get my show in front of more people because somebody has a larger audience, that has value and that is important. And I think I'm good enough at interviewing people that I am still selective. Like I turn down interviews that people have numbers and stuff, but like most people have a really cool story most of the time. You know, I've even like I've interviewed some models, right? And I've had people question me on those ones and they're like, she's just pretty. Like my friend Gwen Singer, she's got 1.3 million on Instagram. She's an Instagram model basically, mm. but she has a podcast and she does other things. And I, people have questioned me about that one before. And I'm like, you know, you don't get to that kind of audience from being pretty. You don't. There's got to be. There's so else. many pretty girls. Yeah. She's super smart. She knows what she's doing. And she's done a lot of things. You know, I interviewed this girl, Caitlin O'Connor. She was on Two and a Half Men and a whole bunch of stuff. She's got like 600,000 followers or whatever. But she also had an ongoing article um, in Maxim. Like she had, she was an author. She wrote an article for months and months and months. She was the one that for Maxim on all the red carpet events had to go up to all the celebrities and try to get them to talk to them. Right. And do that whole thing as well as she's been a co-producer of movies and like you look at her Instagram and it's like oh this is a model no 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 she's got a lot more going on that's incredibly interesting you know you're just like people are taking them at face value which is like all right you're blowing the opportunity then because I see the opportunity in front of me this girl's really cool I'm gonna you'll see why she's really cool I'm gonna show you and she has a big audience and connect can connect me to some other people, you know, like mm -hmm. you can find the right situation with just about anybody in that realm. And having small people who are in the beginning of their thing is awesome. However, if their stories aren't to a point of inspiring yet because they haven't really accomplished much yet, it's hard then to get a lot of listeners to want to listen to the story. Right. Right. If somebody doesn't have an audience of their own it's probably because not that many people are that interested in what they're doing yet. It doesn't mean that they won't get to that point just at the moment. They aren't. Therefore it's going to be really hard for me to put somebody on the show who hasn't really established anything yet and get everybody that listens to my show to want to listen to that episode. Cause they're like, well, who's that? Nobody else pays attention to what they do. Why do I care? I don't care. And it, it, that's, you know, sounds harsh, but it's just real. Yeah. Right. You, you need to build that up. If you don't have an audience yet, it means you haven't done it yet. Grow one. Then more people want to listen to it. I'll tell you what, it gets easier and easier and easier. The more your numbers go up with whatever it is, whether it's your business, you know, the, the more years in business you're open, more people know that you're there. You don't even have to market yourself anymore because people just know it. Right. You know, Sherwin Williams, like everyone knows that is that's where you got by paint. If somebody opened up a Sherwin Williams store and put no advertising at all, people have brand recognition and will go, well, okay, I can get professional service here. So I'm just going to go there. It just gets easier. So if you're in a position where you haven't built anything up and you're requesting to be on shows, put in some work and it will come. Yeah. And then people will want to hop on things with you. You know, if you're going to be a rapper, where's your album? Is it good? 
Or are you just SoundCloud rapping over beats everyone else has used, you know, and you think you're good. You got to put in the work. I put in the work. You put in the work. You know, these other people that we interview, they put in the work. We've heard the stories. You know what I mean? So you just got to get on that level. Yeah. And that's a fine line that I try to dance with. Like, mm-hmm. be, you know, I, I enjoy talking to small people just simply yeah. because, you know, like, you know, Brandon over here in the chat, you know, he started his uh, a music project with uh, another guest I've had on TJ and he, uh, albeit Brandon, you're not small by any means. You've had a massive following from TikTok and social media and he does in the metal community. Cool. But it's just fun talking to him because, mm-hmm. Hey, here's a guy I've been following for a year on social media. He's introduced a thousand fucking bands to me. Yeah. And now he has his own project yeah i want to talk to him about that yeah totally and you know even though he's fairly new on that scene but it's still fun and where yeah. i've had other people like a you know an author for example like i'm in the works of writing my first book it's like hey cool write that first book get it out there contact me again once you get to that point because yeah i need material as well just you know yeah well and i mean it depends on what you know there's different levels to this stuff right podcasts like the the volume one award thing just went and i forget what the they put in some description because my show just won the best local podcast again which was sweet um but the, the description was like there's about as many podcasts in wisconsin as there are spots on a cow and i was like <laughs> yeah there's a lot of podcasts yeah, yeah. well here's the thing right most people do their podcast not with any intention of it being a career. It's exclusively a side project. Mine's not. I don't want it to only be a side project. I need to make money on it. If I'm flying out to LA to interview people for a week, that costs a lot of money. Where's that money coming from? Not out of my pocket. Can't be forever. I mean, it was initially, but it can't be forever. Well, if you need to make money on it, now all of a sudden money's dictating what you're doing a little bit. Not significantly, but a little bit. Like I said, I have advertisers, right? Hop and Barrel has like been a sponsor of my show for a while. They're not going to pay me to interview somebody that people don't necessarily care to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier for me to get sponsors if I can get names that have some kind of recognition and numbers behind them. The thing is, is their stories are just as good or honestly, probably better. The reason they're in this really cool position is because they're living a really cool life and they have good stories to share. That's why they're in that position in the first place. You know, I interviewed a lot of people locally initially, and I still will because I love my hometown. Like, seriously, I'll throw down. I love Eau Claire more than anybody. But like everyone's story are really similar. If I interview a lot of local businesses owners in Eau Claire, the stories are similar. And the only people that really want to listen are people that care about local business in Eau Claire. That's a really small crowd of people that I, there's not much potential there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do want to bring that content. I do think it's cool. And I still do those episodes, but I, I don't want to focus on that because I can't grow my show then. And then you can't get any kind of ad dollars going on, which means it's going to limit anything else that you can do. You're just kind of like, you're cutting yourself and you're not letting yourself grow. And I've had to kind of explain that when people reach out to me about wanting to be on the show, you know, somebody who hasn't really established much, totally cool. I'm rooting for you. And that's awesome, man. Send me your song. If I like it, I'll share it like tight, you know, but I'm trying to explain to him like, not only do I have to put in, uh, I'm, you know, four grand into equipment alone, right? Not only did I spend all this money and I'm two and two and a half years of doing this, like as a big part of my life. So I put in all that energy, I've built something up. If I then go and spend all of this time recording with you, editing with you, giving you a week of my spot on my show with the feature and everything that goes along with it. And all I'm going to do is lose listeners. 
like I can't at detriment to myself right. promote you. It's not fair. And you can't do that in business. If I want to give to charity, I will. And I do. I donate to stuff all the time. I'm on the Parks and Waterways Commission with the city for three years <laughs> for free. Like I don't get paid for that. You know, if I want to donate, I can donate, you know, but if, if in any kind of business situation, I always tell people the same business advice. I sell, I'll tell you the two really quick. First, sell yourself as a solution to people's needs. You never need to sell a product if they know you're the one who can help them, right? Pretty simple. They're going to come to you when they need something, right? Because they trust that you're going to get them whatever they need. That's how it is at my store. I sell it as this is where you want to get skateboard stuff from. I'm never going to sell you a product. When you want something, you just know where to go. Simple, right? The other op- other business advice I give people is all you have to do to work with anybody is identify what the mutually beneficial situation is. Mutually beneficial. All parties can win here. Now, if somebody comes at me or comes at you or comes at really anywhere, if you're not bringing value to the table and you're just asking for a favor, it's unlikely that favor is going to be done. And not only that, I hate the whole thing of like, doesn't hurt to ask. It does hurt to ask. Now I'm going to think differently of you because you're looking for handouts and other people are going to see that too. Instead, come to the table and say, hey, this is what I can offer. I would love if you could do this for me. What can I do for you in exchange? Where is the mutually beneficial situation? Then hell yeah, let's do it. Because there probably is a mutually beneficial situation and it doesn't have to be money. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay me to be on the show, you know, but there's other things that we can do that could be really cool. You know, at one point I had a candle maker on the show. I got to like make my own scented candles with my logo on the candles. That was really cool. Yeah. Like I didn't make a lot of money on them or anything. I only made like 10 of them, but it was just like a cool experience so i was like hell yeah i'll do it that sounds awesome was that see was that season one or two i think that was three three yeah but i mean a, a lot of you know a lot of those things come i've been chewing like through your episodes oh i'm sure. trying to play catch up i just i'm actually at the end of the episode with chef um, chef andre yes that one's epic yeah i had to stop and rewind it because he you know casually drops oh yeah i've been shot at and stabbed and blah blah yeah. it's like what <laughs> yeah he oh my god he's he uh how do i not, the fact that i know him and he's such a kind person it's crazy his like network of like friends is so small and i think it comes you know what i was just saying about like you don't ask people for things constantly i try not to ask people for favors because i know like why if you wanted to do me a favor you would you know like like scott right if if he wanted to connect me with lizzo he could if if he hasn't done it he doesn't want to do it why am i gonna ask he's gonna make me look an idiot Mm -hmm. you know well chef i've never asked him for anything because I don't want anything from him. He's just really awesome. But we talk all the time. And every time I talk to him, he sends like voice messages to me all the time, you know? And every time he refers to me as legend. And I'm like, (laughs) you're so cool. You know what I mean? Like we just have a really cool relationship. But dude, that guy was Eddie Eddie Murphy's personal chef for a year. He's cooked for Queens and like the, he turned down cooking for the Queen of England. This dude's epic. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah, his, his episode, he got a, He's so cool. And he, I, and it, I don't know if it still is, but it was at least for a long period of time. It, his link in his bio on his Instagram was our interview. No shit. For like a year. <laughs> it might still be. I guess I'd have to check. But like, yeah, that dude's incredible. If anyone wants to listen to an episode, a lot of my friends tell me that's, that's their favorite. If nothing else, just for his voice. 
his voice alone he's australian he's 50 and he just sounds epic yeah. he's so cool he could definitely he has voiced over commercials because of that reason so yeah people should check that one out that no, one's so when sick. he he mentioned that he turned down cooking for the queen of england my initial thought is like why the hell would you turn that down and then he explained his reasons like yep. oh shit i never thought about it that way that yeah that makes sense you know because that is his you know like he kept saying you know it's yep. not his job it's right. what he loves to do right he doesn't have to yeah and then you can be selective. You know, like I said, that's where it's with the show too, right? Is you can be selective. Mm-hmm. At first you're like, okay, who's willing to be on the show? Friends? Tight. Like hop on. Yeah. You know, but at some point you can be a little selective and you're like, okay, well, what story do I want to tell? Which people are best at helping me tell that story? And yeah, some people can be very new in their profession. So it's not just about numbers and stuff. And I, I don't want people to think that that's like the goal. It's not the goal. But you have more selection of how do I tell the story? What is the goal I'm trying to get to? Am I trying to, I'm trying to inspire people to pursue their passions. These people will help me do that the best of the people I have access to. Obviously I can't just call anybody, you know, of people ask me, why haven't you interviewed this person? <laughs> like, well, it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> I, I, when you do right by somebody, now they are more willing to connect you with other people they know, but it's only the people they know. I don't know. I can't just interview anybody. Right. I can't get a hold of, you know, Zoe Deschanel just because she's friends with Lamorne. <laughs> Lamorne did that as a favor. Right. He had no reason really to do that. He's not going to connect me with her because why, why would he do that? It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? So I want to interview her, though. <laughs> they have a new podcast. No Lam- shit. Yeah. Lamorne just started a podcast with Zoe Deschanel and then uh, one of the other girls from New Girl. I forget what her name is. But yeah, they just started a new podcast. I can't remember what the name of it is. Actually, he did. He was talking to me about it on my show. Um, I think he talked about it on the show, or maybe it was just off mic when we were hanging out. I think but he, he mentioned that he wanted to start one, or was in so. The this process is of. he started another one now, okay, where it's like sure. an actual regular podcast. Yeah, but he did a TV show, audio only podcast. Sure, right initially, and so it's like twelve episodes or something, and it's it's like a movie kind of. Um, there's just no visual to it, but it's the voice acting, the sound effects, and everything. It's him and another guy are chasing down this convict, but it's a comedy and it's actually really good. I can't believe I can't think of the name of this podcast right now. If you look up Lamore and Moore's podcast, you'll, you'll find it. But he was doing that at the time. Anyways, that turned out really sweet. Um, but now since then with Zoe Deschanel, you know, the main girl from new girl, mm-hmm. they, they now have a podcast about, I don't know, whatever I got to listen to it. I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. I've been, I'm not, so most of my podcasts are pretty dry, long form conversational oh, sure. or, you know, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. I'm a giant sure history nerd but got into uh there's two that are kind of like that you know tv show without the 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 video aspect uh angel vine have you heard that Mm -hmm. it was put on um it's a guy from the the liquid death water i can't think of his name but it's a it's like old timey radio show style to it and then my buddy sent me a link to the intro on uh old gods of appalachia huh and it's like it's it's okay cool fiction story i don't really care but fine it's it's a minute and a half intro i'll give it a shot sure well now my only issue with that show is that they only have two seasons out and season three isn't out yet (laughs) yeah 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 well his thankfully like i said that one it was start to finish it's just one story but it it was really good but on that note like i don't 
listen to podcast. Well, okay. I listen to podcasts, but not the ones I necessarily want to listen to. I used to listen to a lot of podcasts. Like all the time I would listen to podcasts. That's how I, dude, I'm by myself a lot. <laughs> you know, I work by myself primarily. So like anytime customers aren't in the store, like you know, I'm not that busy, you know, I'm sitting listening to podcasts. I did that a lot. Once I started doing my own show, man, I don't want to listen to them for leisure anymore. Oh, I'm terrible. Like podcasts, but the problem is, is like, I'm pretty diligent about like, you know, if I'm going to be on this show, I'm going to listen to an episode of the podcast earlier today, which I did. You know, if I'm going to interview Chris Cruz, yeah, I'm just like, thankful he didn't listen to like the first one of the first 10 episodes. That was, of, of, it was rough of my show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't start at the beginning of anyone's shows for that reason, because people always tell me that they're like, yeah, I'm going to start listening to the show. And I'm like, dude, Miles Boulevard's episode is great, but for real, my show has gotten better over time. Oh yeah. You, you don't need to listen to it in any order. Obviously see, I, I like to, because I like to see the history, the, the evolution, evolution sure. from start to now. Well, that's you committing to, I want to see this grow Yeah. rather than just wanting to listen to the good stuff. But like when people talk to me about it, I'm like, you listen to a newer one. That'll give you an idea of like what my show is like and what you can expect from it. Cause obviously it got better. I just don't want someone to go back, listen to one of the first episodes and go, uh, I'm like, well, yeah, I know they were, uh, they just started. Right. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know, they got better over time. But but yeah. But anyways, because of that, I I listen to episodes. I listen to a ton of different podcasts just of guests I'm going to be interviewing. Once I lock in guests, then I will research them and listen to as many podcasts and stuff as I can that they've been on before. So I've heard a lot of random one-off episodes of podcasts, but it's not because I care about that show in particular. Not that it's a bad show, but it's just I have to put so much time into editing my own, creating my own, researching other guests. It's hard for me to want to do it for leisure at that point. I'm just it's, doing it too it much. It was easier for me before I came down here. When I was up north, I was a field rep, so I was covering... I think I started with six, maybe nine counties, and I expanded oh, so that driving. up to 15 counties. I was doing two, 250 miles a day. Yeah. And okay. Then you got time. Yeah. yeah. And then COVID hit and I'm, and I'm on lockdown and they sure. grounded all reps. It's like, cool. Audiobooks and podcasts. Here we go. Sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Pod, I mean, I can, but you know, I'm in my shop and I, I typically will have skateboard videos on mm -hmm. I pay for YouTube premium. No one else does, but I do <laughs> just cause I want commercials on my TV in my store all day long. So I'll have that on because when customers customers come in and out, it's awkward if I have a podcast on, right? Cause I have to like pause it and they look at you like, am I interrupting something? I'm like, I, no, it's just what I, so yeah. So I don't really have quite that. My kids definitely don't want to listen to podcasts when I'm at home. That's the most boring thing <laughs> right. for them to listen to. So I don't have quite as convenient of a time as I guess I used to with it. And yeah, it really is just, I, I don't want to say I'm burnt out on podcasting cause I really do love it, but man, to do it exclusively for leisure, that's, that's really See, hard for me to I, I hit that wall because I, in the beginning, and we were talking about this on what will be the episode before this one mm -hmm. about hitting that burnout. Sure. And you know, I treated it too much like a job. Like I was looking at the numbers every day of down, yeah. you know, downloads and you know, what's the reach on social media, blah, blah. And I, I burned myself out doing that. Yep. And all of a sudden it's like, I, you know, because I'm between finding guests, researching, booking, and then finally recording and, and then editing, it's about 20 hours yeah. an episode. Yeah, sure. So it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so the best and worst thing to happen was COVID because sure. it forced me to take a step back. And I noticed a couple months in, I really had that itch. Like, God, I, I want to be in the studio again. We tried to do it over Zoom, but it just wasn't the same because yep. of the studio we have. On a Sunday, we'll do two, well, anywhere from like three to four episodes of different shows. Oh, sure. 
And then that's what spawned this. Right. It was slowly over time. And, you know, I've done a lot of shows over Zoom just because of the time constriction of traveling and everything. I've avoided that. Yeah. I've turned down interviews that would be really cool, but they're only going to do them via Zoom. Right. You know, actually, Chef Andre, for one, was like, I have some people that would do an interview for you that you want to interview, but they would only do it via Zoom. And right. I'm like, nope. I'm like really strict. I want to do it in person. <laughs> and maybe I'll give on that at some point so far I have not budged on that and I'll fly to LA or I'll drive to wherever to do this interview because to me it's like that personal experience half of the fun is I'm making friends that are doing all kinds of cool stuff I get to make a bunch of really cool friends and I think that's you know? the salesperson yeah both of us you know I've been in sales for yeah. way too long yeah when COVID hit you know a company said okay you can work from home or you're working in store and like as doing a delivery driver or whatever yeah but they still wanted us to make phone calls to our customers it's mm. like it's not the same right and i i'm i'm a curmudgeon by five o'clock on a weekday because i've been talking to 50 people yeah but then i get home and it's quiet well all of a sudden i've had three weeks of quiet mm. and i'm crawling up the walls trying to you know i just like want to have if somebody could break in i'll offer them a beer at this point <laughs> yeah yeah no I've, absolutely it's there it's just that wall like you're not connecting on the same level when it's via zoom unless you already knew that person prior but otherwise i mean you see when you interview people a lot of times it takes half an hour before they're really comfortable in the first yeah. place you like develop the relationship with them through the interview but when they're separated and you know and it's just a computer thing i feel like it's like an appointment for them you know it's not fun in the same kind of way and like i said ha- like a big part of why i did the show like the from what i saw as a benefit because i didn't start podcasting with any intention of like this is going to be lucrative it's still not lucrative even <laughs> if i make a tiny bit of money off it it wasn't for money it was for other things right i wanted to inspire people but i get inspired and learn a lot from these people and i get to make a lot of really cool friends like i love meeting people in the entrepreneurship and creative realm because those that's those are my kind of people that's what i've been doing we've all been through the same hardships you know what i mean i was broke as shit running escape like come on so uh, similar things right i want to build relationships with, with these people you don't get that when you do it via zoom now it's just work to me now i get to do this episode and i have to edit it and put it all out but i didn't even make a friend or you know and it's not not like i've become personal friends with every single guest that i've had on but quite a few you know and i talk to people like when i interview them i tell that to a lot of my guests and they're like oh really and i'm like how many people do you sit down with for at least an hour talking about really meaningful things one-on-one not very many people, even your f- friends and you know coworkers and stuff. They don't have a perspective on anything you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They don't really relate. So you're not gonna this conversation. You're not gonna have that many like this. For us, we podcast a week, yeah. but they don't. And I'm like, this is a unique conversation. We're connecting in a way that you don't with most people. So it's pretty normal that we would be friends. I would love to be your friend after this, dude. There's a lot of them. Miles Hass owns. Uh, 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 you haven't listened to his episode yet. He's not who you would expect. He's a genius. He owns uh, Magic Men Live. You know the movie Magic Mike? Yeah. They ripped him off. No shit. He owns the biggest male strip show in the world. (laughs) 
Yeah, and he was on my show, which is so <laughs> sick. Uh, but he lives in in, uh, in this penthouse in Hollywood, and I stayed stayed with him for a week. And I that was I interviewed Chef Andre at his place. Uh, anyways, he's a super cool dude, um, and he also owns this podcast that's incredibly successful now, which he had started around the same time as mine, called the Strip Down Podcast. It's like a comedic dating advice show from male stripper point of view. It's hilarious, <laughs> and they do really really well. So you should check it out. It, it's fantastic but every time I go to every time I go to LA I text him and hang out and I never ask him for anything but you wouldn't we're not the two people you would think would be like good buddies but I stayed with him for a week inadvertently we were with other people too and he was working on his podcast got to know him really well every time I go to LA I hit him up and we go and we have beers on the rooftop of the W in Hollywood Mm -hmm. every time just because he's my friend you know and that's how it works with a lot of these people Wayne like I said that was like I don't know yeah a year ago I guess that I interviewed him and we've had coffee via zoom a couple times since and yeah I just like texted him the other day and he's like yeah these are the days that I'll be kicking it and around where I don't have shows I would love to see you if you want to come hang out I'm like yep I'll be there you that's know? the part I'm horrible about horrible about is, is keeping contact after the show because oh, sure. leading up you know there's the the initial message and then the ramp up and then you record and it's it's the big concert uh, uh, concerto not concerto crescendo yeah, yeah. and then the show's out and it's mm. like okay now I gotta do the next guest plus I got a full time job to worry about and everything else life to throw in there sure and then you know three months six months a year later I see him pop up on social media and it's like oh shit I should really hey how's it going man what's up you know yep. sorry it's been a minute <laughs> yeah yeah. I tend to I don't know I, I guess I'm really interested in them in like social you know Instagram the algorithm reads what you actually pay attention to right I genuinely am really interested in these people's lives after I've interviewed them because usually we became friends at least on a surface level to you know to a certain degree we are friends for sure you know and I'm really invested in what they do I'm really curious to what they do so I interact with all of them on social media after the fact so that continues the algorithm I continue to see them on social media all the time because I continuously comment on their stuff or respond to stories they usually follow me back when we do the interview and Mm -hmm. they're commenting and talking to me back and stuff like I've talked to Scott a bunch of random times you know what I mean or I said Chef Andre and I talk all all the time which to me is still like really rad and odd that he's one that I talk to frequently but there's a lot of them that are like that and to me they're just like I said they're just such cool interesting people that's why I was excited to interview him in the first place so I definitely want to be their friend you know and there have been a few where I reached out like I mentioned Brandon before Yeah, yeah He was on the East Coast. We were have both. I reach out to him about being on the show, and then it turns out we we're both going to the same show in Chicago. And he brought his buddy Tim with, oh, cool. and Tim's in a band too. So the three of us got to sit down for, and it was that was a rough day. So sure. what was supposed to be like an hour, hour and a half show turned into thirty minutes because I hit traffic because it's Chicago and it's yeah, sure. always under construction. Sure, but yeah, since then I mean we've done I think three shows together. Cool. And I got another uh, buddy, uh, BJ, down out of Texas. He's got his own wood shop. And guy I found on TikTok randomly just showed up, and he's making this giant, like, eight-foot table. Dude, it's weird how that works. This pro skateboarder, Jeff DeCesare, everyone calls him Jeff Song. He's known for, like, all his triple kickflips and stuff. He's like, everyone knows who he is in the skateboarding world. Um, he, like, liked a photo of mine or something two years ago. This was at the beginning. He was on season two. He, like, liked a photo of mine randomly. And I was like, what? Why would, what? Who knows? So I sent him a message. I was like, what would it take to get you on the show? And he's like, "Uh, yeah, I'll do it. Really? 
like I just started the show. Like I'm, I don't definitely not many followers or anything that like, and dude's got over a hundred K like a lot of people know who this guy is. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Where do you live? And I was like, Wisconsin. He goes, Oh, well I live in LA. And I'm like, well, I'll fly there. He's like, really? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, sure, man. So I made a whole trip out of it. That yeah. wasn't the only interview I did out there on that trip. I think I did four on that, that California trip. But, but anyways, like I ended up meeting him through just Instagram. I had no other connections to this guy. We're still good buddies. Like he just signed his pro debut model skateboard, like the deck. And I posted my Instagram story the other day. He just sent me one. I'm like, hell yeah. Thanks dude. <laughs> like he actually just messed up his knee. So I was talking to him about it on Instagram yesterday or, uh, Blake Johnson was a, a pro skateboarder that was on my show. I was talking to him yesterday. That dude lives in uh, Barcelona, mm-hmm. but like, I, I don't know. I just keep in contact. Like, and, and yeah, I'm, you meet him through like Wayne introduced me to this dude, David Canava uh, on Instagram. He's mad in the hat drums. He does all kinds of that cool was stuff. a cool episode. Oh dude. Yeah. Talk about like, Oh, that when, when I said it's not that hard to just do something, it's hard to be good at it, but you can just do anything. That dude has done so much stuff that he shouldn't have been able to do. And he just did and did it successful. You know, anybody that wants to listen to an episode, that is one of my favorites for sure. This dude was from Colorado and he played drums, you know, then studio drum and then became a DJ and then did all these light shows while he's drumming, while putting off these light show things. And then COVID hit and then he bought a movie studio what and then he learned how to like work all of these like green not green screens but like projector yeah. laser what, what, beam things what was it x xr x yeah xr stuff yeah and he did a music video for maroon five there like <laughs> he doesn't know how to do that but he figured it out and does it really well dude's a genius awesome he connected me to a bunch of people after that episode so i interviewed this girl kim crawl who's hilarious she's a full-time stand-up comedian out there she's awesome she just wrote her first book and so i got a copy of that we actually gave one away through my uh i do giveaways with guests a lot you yeah. know when they have whatever come out so i interviewed her um and then more, more recently this dude santino the misfit santino noir santino whatever his name's santino campanelli um he's from jersey but he like in music seen big and then out of nowhere decided he wanted to direct a movie i might have misspoke is he he had the singer had polyps develop or is that another uh yeah that's uh stefano stefano langoni okay. he was on american idol and yes did so that's really the episode well. i just heard actually today oh yeah he's <laughs> he like literally just had that surgery when i interviewed him so like we i record my episodes in thirds because mm-hmm. I asked for music selections, you know, which you don't hear it when you listen on Spotify, but, um, he had to cut me off. Basically we got through two thirds and he's like, dude, my voice is pretty done. We got to wrap this up. And I was like, all right, no worries. He actually, I didn't know I was going to interview him until like 20 minutes before. <laughs> And my buddy was like doing a photo shoot for him while we were out there. And he's like, do you want to interview Stefano? And I'm like, who is he? And he like sent me his stuff. I looked at him I'm like, yeah, this guy seems cool. So yeah, so that's good. But no, Santino anyway, Campanelli is on this newest season. Um, him and his dad wrote a movie and he wanted to direct a feature film and he had never done one, but he just decided he was going to do it. And his first movie that he made, he had Danny Trejo in it. Like, 
the movie's called Bully. It's on Amazon. You just go stream it. I watched it the other day, and I was like, sick, because he like, of course, Santino has himself as a little cameo in, right. in one spot. So I screenshotted it and texted him like, look at this ugly dude. <laughs> um, but but anyways, uh, it's it's a movie basically about this like overweight ginger kid who's being beaten up at school, and then he um, learns how to box it from Danny Trejo at his gym, and then beats up the bully in the end. It's, yeah, it's a tight movie. But but um, really nice guy but the only reason I know him is from David and the only reason I know David is from Wayne you know what I mean and and they're all the same vibe people like they're all the coolest people and then of course even just from Santino's episode through Instagram I now we follow each other back probably at least a handful of his relatively successful friends in various different things you know because they saw I'm friends with Santino they're like that guy's the best and I'm like absolutely that guy's the best so now uh, I'm friends with some dude who apparently cuts hair for like a lot of really big time celebrities out in LA I don't know he has cool videos of him cutting celebrities hair yeah but I'm like, I want to interview you when I come out to L.A. to interview the dude who cuts hair for, who I don't know, lots of famous people. I don't I guess I can't name drop because I don't know exactly who, but a lot of them like that sounds like a really fun episode. I've interviewed some barbers, but not like celebrity barbers. It sounds tight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But but those relationships, the way that they like blend into like opening other opportunities, that's a big part of why I want to have it in the first place is because I really enjoy that aspect of what I do. And that doesn't happen if it's it's via zoom. So I don't want to do it. I don't want to do things that are I, and back in the very first season with Kyle Lehman. We discussed neither of us want to do anything that we don't want to do. We're going to actively find ways not to do it, you know? And so like with the show, it's a passion project. I do make a little money on it. I do want it to be, it is a big part of my career and I think it's has a really high ceiling. I think it's going to go much further than it is. Uh, but I don't want to do it if it's not fun. And Zoom ones aren't fun for me, right. so I don't want to do them. Yeah, it was. Well, I started the Zoom thing out of necessity with uh, yeah. with COVID. Sure, and it was convenient at the time and hard to travel. And albeit, I was able to get a few people. Yeah, in you know, I had an apartment up there, and my my studio was yeah. also doubled up as my office, which was also my dining room. But yeah, sure. I mean, that's what it is right now. My studio at home, Studio P, <laughs> is, is just my dining room table. I mean, it works perfectly yeah. fine. You know, it's it's actually pretty sweet i think no i think that's kind of the cool thing about podcasting you know albeit i was late to the game started 20 well it started 2017 but it didn't publish until 2018 i was but wondering point, yeah because i saw your thing on spotify or whatever didn't the cover say like 2015 or something on it it had like a date on it was yeah it so well the arena originally so the end game for me i want to get out of corporate america and I want to own a gym, but not LA, you know, what is it? LA fitness or anytime or anything like that. I'd yeah. much rather have kind of like the gym I had up in Spooner or down River Falls where it's, well, those were both more powerlifting strongman centric, mm-hmm. but I'd rather have a giant, you know, like hundred thousand square foot facility where if you want to do MMA or swimming or, you know, martial arts, whatever it is, that's athletic. Or maybe you just want to get on a bike for a half hour, whatever the yeah. case is, have that equipment there, but then have the coaching staff be Behind it for those you know specialty sports whatever the case may be but then also bring in uh, physical therapists and chiropractors and massage therapy so everything's under one roof and that idea spawned out of I enjoy teaching that's what I went to school for was history and teaching until oh, okay, I saw sure. the the farther up the food chain I got the more and more bureaucracy I saw sure and I don't do well with that yeah that's the funny thing about like politics like I've thought about doing politics a lot of people have asked me to run city council you know and I'm like man I don't 
Uh, yeah, like, I, I volunteered, taught martial arts uh, kind of on accident. Uh, most of my best friends were doing martial arts and sure, knee high yeah. to a grasshopper. Literally came down to them beating me with PVC pipes until I agreed to go to a class. I'm like, fine. And my buddy just started his own school at the time. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll go I'll go to one. Sure. And then I'm never coming back. So I'm like, oh, that's fine. Well, then seven, eight years later, I have a black belt and I'm now teaching kids sure. the stuff that I was learning a few years ago. It's like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. And then turn around and teaching an eight-year-old and then have to turn, you know, spin and pivot and teach their dad the same thing. It, te- Dude, I think I, I learn more about myself than I, than they learn from me. Sure. Well, it's like, I really enjoy this. So then between that and then I had a, I tore my rotator cuff twice. Oh, I'm sure. going from the doctor to the physical therapist to the chiropractor to the, the orthopedic you know, surgeon, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell them what the other three said. I go, why aren't you guys communicating? You speak the same language. I right. sound like an idiot right now. Yeah. Because I know about half the words that they just said. Right. So if I could have this facility under one roof and have, have all the people there. So if there is an injury or whatever the case may be, everybody sure. can communicate around that. Yeah, yeah. On the flip side of that, it, you know, giant community center, like, uh, you know, would love to, again, you know, a hundred thousand square foot facility, you know, open it up to school districts for after school program, have, you know, like a farmer's market thing or whatever the case may be in the sure. summertime. <laughs> In particular, open up for uh, special need kids. Sure. Uh, EBD in, partici- in particular, the emotional behavioral disorder. Sure. Because they seem to be, I dated someone that worked in that field. And those kids kind of get written off both by special ed and gen ed teachers. Oh, sure. So to be able to give them a space where to, you know, this, hey, move this pile of rocks from here to there. Yeah. Just to give them something to do and teach them hard work. Sure. That they can do something. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a large business. Yeah, yeah. It's like a real significant dollar amount that so you're talking I, about. Yeah, when happen, this... That would be really cool. I, I went to Ronin Fitness. Have you been there? No, not yet. That's in Banbury Place downtown. Sure. So I'll do like feed posts and stuff, sponsored posts with like business owners, right? So actually, um, was it yesterday or the day before? I think yesterday. Uh, I went to the... So I went there with a the photographer to do like take photos, right? Because my page is like inadvertently been like a micro influencer page as well, which is not what I planned on, but it just kind of <laughs> happened that way. Um, but, but anyways, so I'll do posts for people where I'll like go into their business and get my teeth whitened and take photos of the process and then post about my friend who does this, you know? So I was doing that for this, uh, MMA gym and I was like, let's just pose for some photos. And he's like, no, I'll just get you in there. I'm like, what? Dude had me get beat up by like five people, including like a little nine, 90 pound girl right. that he's like, okay, spar with her. I'm like, I don't want to hit her. And he's like, no, just try to take her down, try to tackle her. And I'm like, okay. So I start to like go to try to tackle her and she just pops me right in the face. And I'm like, Jesus, she's like, protect your face. And I was like, okay. So I put my hands up and then she starts kicking me and I'm like, stop. Yeah. So I went and did a photo shoot and I got thrown to the ground well over a dozen times by five different individuals. One very large man. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so it was fun, but that gym anyways, is really cool. They teach uh, grappling MMA they got like a cage fight thing area there, but it's just like a big, cool fitness place, you know? And I think it's actually pretty reasonably priced. I'll tell you what, that was the gnarliest workout I've had in a long time. And I didn't even do kind of what the class was. I was just like (laughs) hopping in and out of it. You know, I think something like that would work. You know, we have like the indoor sports center in Eau Claire. It's just to get people on board 
that's a massive, massive amount of money. So trying to get all that together in one go is really hard. Yeah. You almost need to start small. And, and that's that's how the arena started originally. I was yeah. like at the time, T-shirts were cheaper than buildings. Yeah. So I wanted to you know start. I wanted Nike and Under Armour insert name brand here quality yeah. shirt. Yeah. But without that price, because, you know, oh, you have a little swoosh on there, so it's $60? No. Sure. I'll charge, you know, half that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was saying before. You know, I had some success yeah. with it, but not enough to really say this is a true sustaining business. Sure. And that's what then pivoted into the podcast. And, mm-hmm. and well, here I am now. And sure. It's still the dream is to do that. It's just... Were you doing it how full do I get time? That? No, no. See, uh, that's the thing. I, at the time... When it started officially, my was already yeah. I was successfully running my painting business into the dirt at about Mach five. Sure, sure. Well, I mean that's the thing, right? I had a guy. This is before I opened my shop, but I was talking about it. I was at Verizon. His name was Doug, and he was he used to own a bunch of businesses in town and and whatever. He was talking to me about it, and I'm gonna butcher what he said, but he said you can't serve two lords. And I'm like, well, I'm not religious, so that's irrelevant. But he's like, no, really, though, if if you want to open a business, you can't have a backup thing that's paying your bills or you're not going to be able to commit what you need to into this business for it to be successful. You can't. It won't work. I promise you it won't work. And so what I did was I got my space for my store in January. Right. I decided I was going to do it in in, uh, December. Got my space in January. They didn't charge me rent until April because they're like, you pay the heat. If, if you're going to take the spot, cause I couldn't get rid of it. Right. They're like, you pay the heat. You can have it in January and not start paying your lease till, till April. And I was like tight. So I worked 40 hours a week at Verizon from then all the way up until the weekend before I opened, worked 40 hours a week at Verizon. And then on one of my days off, I did a 12 hour day open to close at the mall at Hellsberg diamonds. Cause I've always left every job in good note. Right. So I worked a 12 hour day there and then off outside of that 52 hours, I was painting my shop, ordering merchandise, figuring out what I needed to do to open. Oh yeah, I'm also a dad and I gotta do everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just like, but I did all of that so that way I went, it was a, I opened my shop on a, was it a Thursday? I forget what day, well, whatever, whatever it was. Um, the week before I had my last day at Verizon, on a Thursday and that week I was done with everything. I was like, this is my last day here. Hellsburg was the week before I'm not working again other than for myself. And I had like three or four days off to go party with friends and hang out and take a deep breath and be like, all right, here we go. Yeah. And then, like I said, then it was 70 hours a week. The whole, I'm sure, sorry, 68 hours <laughs> technically <laughs> a week, you know what I mean? Of being open. That's how I made it work Yeah, because there's no money to be made. But if you were to do 70 hours a week dedicated to, okay, well, how much time really goes into designing and selling these shirts? Well, now I have time to design shorts. Now, I've, now I have time to try to find, you know, whatever. If you're dedicating that kind of time, you can probably make it work. You just got to be willing to put that big of a risk and investment of everything into it to make it work. Yeah. But that's a huge commitment and not a lot of people want to do that, especially right. when you got to walk away from real money that you know you're getting. And at the time, I was, I was still licking the wounds from, like I said, the painting business. Yeah. That And I was really good at selling the job. Yeah. It's the production and the managing side that was a mistake. I, I hired too many people too quickly sure. and that was the issue. 
and yeah that was entirely on me for failing and it took me a while to actually well, growing too fast then right yeah you know what i mean because if you would have sold the jobs and you would have been on the job site for every job it probably would have worked out fine yeah. you know but you're trying to bite off more than you could chew because you saw the potential for something but you didn't lay the groundwork and that's what happens with so many people with business is they want that gratification without putting in the work they see you know everyone says that to me you're so lucky you get to go to europe what do you mean I'm lucky I get to go to Europe? <laughs> I paid for it. What are you talking about? I worked really hard to get where I am. Do you see my car outside? <laughs> I paid that off eight years ago. The reason I go to Europe is because I don't have a car payment and haven't for a long time. I, I, It wasn't lucky. There's certain things. Yes, I'm a white male. I already have privilege. I'm aware of that. I came from a middle class family. That's privilege in itself. There are things that I had that were privileged, sure. But I used my own money, well, credit card money, but still, <laughs> I built everything myself and I built it to a point to be able to do what I do. That took a lot of sacrifice to get to that point. I still don't make as much money as I did when I was 22 at Verizon. You know, I've worked really hard. Was it was your show another one I was listening to where you're talking about the the overnight success, overnight success, air quotes? It, you don't ever have overnight. Yeah. It just doesn't work that yeah. way. You know, people think they do, that's an exceptionally rare occurrence of you see, like yeah the the new you know hip-hop rap artist whatever the case is on the billboard number one oh they're an overnight success but you don't aren't. see the five years before that they aren't you know I, I, I talked about on my show too i did with caitlin o'connor we were talking about that where it's like people see that opportunity you know like you got to interview lamorne or you got to interview this person it's like well a lot of relationships went to that point though there's a lot of big name people that i don't get to interview that I have friends that know them. Lamorne's, he knows Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm not gonna interview Michael Jordan, you know, but I, what I'm saying is like, there's so many people that I really wanna interview that I don't get to, but if you consistently do the right things, the right opportunities will show up eventually. They're just not gonna show up just when you want them to show up, right? If you continuously put it out to the world, this is what I'm trying to do, I'm working really hard towards it, and you just genuinely work hard and you do right by people constantly, that somebody that you're gonna meet is gonna go, oh, I can help you with that. And all my friends say that I should help you because you're a good person and you work hard and your track record proves it. I'll give you this opportunity. It's only a matter of time before the opportunity comes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's it seems lucky because in that particular scenario, it's lucky. But it's, it's like if you shoot a basketball and you close your eyes, you're going to make one <laughs> at some point, you know, if you throw enough of them. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is, is if you just keep doing the right things, eventually it will happen. It's luck in that moment, maybe. But really, it's not that lucky. It, in, in time, it's going to happen to anybody. And that's with almost anything with business. But you got to put in. You got to put in all that work. Skateboard shops don't make money, man. I didn't make money off that <laughs> shit. But I had the freedom. You know what I mean? But I had to earn that freedom. Right. I worked seven days a week for a long period of time before I could take any amount of time off. And it's not as luxurious people want to. Like, <laughs> they look at like social media and they think it's something that it isn't. You know what I mean? Like, like when I was in, in Hollywood, well, I've been going there to record lately, but the, the one when I stayed um, with Miles at his place, that, that penthouse, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds really nice to stay, say that I stayed in a $2 million penthouse in Hollywood for a week. And then you say, oh, so I slept on an air mattress in another room with another friend sleeping on a couch. 
that's not quite as luxurious as right. it seems, <laughs> right? Because it wasn't luxurious. It's just the way that it was portrayed. People think it's something that it's not. I look like I have more money than I do, I think, to people. And then, like I said, you look at my Ford Focus. That's a 2006. <laughs> it literally, like the console underneath my, my steering wheel is held up by duct tape because it <laughs> fell down onto my thigh the other day. And it's too cold for me to want to try to figure out what's wrong with it. It's literally held together by duct tape, you know, but that's what allows me to do a lot of the other things that I do. Yeah. How do you afford all these flights? Dude, I buy all my merchandise with a Delta American Express card, not a plug to them because they're whatever. But I just I get so many rewards miles that I can fly for free. Mm-hmm. So that's why I can afford to fly. Not because I have any money It's because I didn't pay for the flight. I have friends who work in the hotel industry. That's how I was able to get hotel rooms for $40 a night or whatever. I can't actually afford this hotel room that's $300. Okay. No way. I'm going to Florida on Monday. My dad paid for that Airbnb. <laughs> I was talking to him and I'm like, oh, where are you going next month? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go to Cocoa Beach. And I'm like, what's the spot? And he sent me an email with the Airbnb listing. And I'm like, you have a second bedroom at this place? And he's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you, you didn't tell me? I'm coming. You know? So like, I'm, I'm going to be in Florida for 10 days. I, I paid $12 in in the fees, you know, after using my rewards miles. I paid 12 bucks for my flight round trip. And I'm not playing for paying for the place I'm staying. If people think things are something that they aren't mm-hmm. very often. And I don't know. Well, people say that it was social media that created this instant gratis- gratification. But growing up, I remember seeing that with people. It's been everywhere yeah. forever. It's just that social media allows you to curate things to a certain way, you know, which I think is part of why, you know, the, the side of my show, it's become with the Instagram kind of like this micro influencer thing as well, you know, at the same time. And that's because I speak openly about my life in it pretty frequently, you know, I'll post more personal things about myself and it's about my personal life. And it's, it's just real things that I'm posting. You know, it's, this is my experience with this thing, depression or whatever it is. And it sucks. You know, this, this is what's going on with me. And those things resonate with people. Not, not the other things. Yeah. Me posting a picture with somebody on a rooftop. Nobody cares. Now it just looks like I'm trying to flex when I don't even have anything to flex. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, well, yeah. I don't know. My, my social media following is almost non-existent, but I don't care because I've noticed, you know, the podcast listen downloads and sure. streams and everything are trending upward. And like, hey, sure. great. If I have one follower on Instagram, but you know, I'm having a million downloads. Perfect. Yeah, that's, totally. that's great for me because I, you know, I live alone. I work full time and I do a podcast. That's the, about a, the excitement yeah. of my life. And well, it, it just depends on what your goals are. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to use it as, you know? And, it, and when it's part of your business directly, like it is with mine, it, is also a marketing tool, right? It's not, it's, it's not why I do it, but it is an important aspect of it. If I want to make money, which is important. And again, I don't make very much money. Like wearing a lot of jewelry, dude, I've had this jewelry <laughs> right. or I inherited the jewelry or it was a gift. I didn't, I traded a skateboard for my gold teeth. I don't, <laughs> did not spend a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like I don't, uh, yeah, but I, I have to make money. Right. So through the Instagram, I sell posts. People hit me up all the time. Will you shout me out on this? When I plug people on my Instagram, I got paid for it, man. Like that's actually how it works. So my social media following matters 
because I have to use it to leverage sponsorships that help fund me creating this thing. And everyone's pretty used to, if you're going to listen to a podcast, especially one that's done on a professional level, you're going to hear advertisements, right? Because the money comes from somewhere. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that these people make a lot of money, but some money has to be made. Therefore, my social media stuff has to matter to me because I sell products through it, sell my own products through it. It's advertising for my own store and for everything that I do. It's just a so it's just a marketing tool in that kind of way. If you're not selling a product, which you're not really, then why does it matter? Right. For what clout? Yeah, and I like I have the merch store and that's fine. Sure, so, but but yeah. you know what I'm saying is like realistically, you hit 30 years old. Does anyone your age care what your Instagram following <laughs> is? No. When, like I <laughs> You know, when I hit like 10K or whatever on my thing, you know who cares? The high school kids at my shop. Uh, none of my friends care. <laughs> they don't, half of them don't even look at my social media at all. Half of them don't even have Instagram. You know what I mean? So it's it's not about it's not about clout. It's 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 a it's a business tool that depending on what you're trying to accomplish, it's either a useful tool or not a useful tool. And it is a huge time suck. It takes a ridiculous amount of time. So if what you're putting your time and energy into is that, and that's not really the right tool to be using, why are you wasting your time? For you, it would probably be a pretty big waste of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Considering what you would actually get out of it. For me, it's a very good use of yeah. my time for, you know, very other reasons. So well, for me, the gratifi- gratification comes from my guests when they yeah. hit me back after an episode and they send the thank you. I had a band on last year, I think, or the year before. Anyway. Sure. Uh, but they had 149 monthly listeners before coming on my show. Sure. Like two months later, they hit me back like, hey, dude, we had 5,000 people listen to us since your show came out. Like, that's Sick. fucking cool to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To see that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And the it's what I've found for me for one of the reasons that I like care about the social media that I didn't say before is it does help me get a hold of people. Yeah. That has people, it's, it's really silly because it's, it's not accurate. I mean, it is to a certain degree. There's some truth to it. Yes. If somebody has social media following, people probably are paying attention to what they're doing to a certain degree. Right. Um, but it's that public perception. People assume it's something. So now if I hit up somebody, even if I have no connection to them and they see the message and they look at my profile, oh, this guy must, it must be, this must be a real thing. Now I'll look at it just because of a number, which is silly, but you have to be willing to play the game. Like that stuff matters. Just like the chip of the volume one awards that mm-hmm. I, you know, I talked about earlier. Everyone knows that's kind of just a popularity contest around here. All you're doing is getting people to go on their website and vote for you. Right. So is it really an accurate representation of what's the best? Not really, but a lot of people associate it that way. I do think my podcast is really good. Don't get me wrong. But like as an example, um, I got voted second best mural in town. Like best new mural, you know, mm-hmm. painting. My mural was not second best mural. <laughs> I mean, it's tight. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. But it's not the second best one. The The mural that got third underneath me is way better than mine. But it's just a stupid little numbers game of like people voted for me because they were going and voting for my podcast at the same right. time they voted for the mural. That's why that happened. And I'm super grateful. It actually is like really exciting for me because I'm still like not super confident with my artwork. And then like so it does mean a lot. And I'm excited. I'm not trying to downplay that. But that, know, all I'm saying is it's, yeah. it's it's not necessarily an accurate representation of something. I know but you, it does matter. You have talked about on your show uh, you, you started painting. 
yeah what a couple years ago now yeah mm-hmm. three four somewhere in that range so how did that all start was that just i feel like doing this today or um so that's the funny thing is like i didn't paint ever growing up i never took class like i was the one who purposely didn't take art classes <laughs> i didn't like because i was bad at it i was always bad at it um and then i was going through like my marriage is falling apart um and without like throwing people under the bus as far as like what happened with the relationship whatever we stayed together for a year and three months beyond what needed to be there right and so I was really depressed because I didn't want to be around my spouse anymore and what I noticed was like I needed some kind of escape when I was home every day I needed to do something like how do I take my mind off this and thankfully I am not the type of person to pick destructive activities (laughs) I when I get depressed, I don't want to beat myself down. I tell myself, you're a piece of shit, get better and do something that's better for you. You know, so I lost weight during the time and I did other stuff. And what I found was I no longer cared that I was bad at painting because this was just an escape. I know I'm bad at it. I don't care. I don't honestly, I was so depressed. I was like, I honestly don't care about anything anymore. So I'm just going to draw because drawing these stupid little monsters that I do are just like fun in this fairy tale world of an escape for me. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be anything. I assumed no one would ever look at it. And it really was like, after I got through dinner, now for the next three, four hours, I I still had to be in the same room as my ex-spouse, but I didn't have to look or pay attention. My eyes were down and focused on this creative thing. And so I ended up doing that every day for, you know, a year and three months before we ended up finally actually splitting. I was doing it every single day. And as I drew more of them, which actually I never really, I shouldn't say drew, cause I don't do a lot of drawing. I really went straight to painting. I, and now, now I'll sketch stuff out on an iPad a lot of times before I like do a big mural or something, but I went straight to painting. But anyways, I was painting them and I had so many of these dumb little monsters. Eventually my friends were like, Hey, can I have one? I'm like, yeah, you can have one. I don't care. I got 30 of these things. It's yours, you know? And then, and as people kept asking for them, eventually I'd already given them all away. I don't have any more. <laughs> and then they're like, well, how much, you know, how much I got to pay you for one? I'm like, well, you want to pay me for one? <laughs> Are you sure? Like, they're not very good. They're like, I think they're cool. Like, well, okay. You know, so I started getting paid for them. And then eventually I, it, it clicked with me that, no, it's, my art's cool. You know, and my, my favorite artist, actually, I'm really excited about it. His name is Lucas Buford. He's a French artist. I was in uh, Japan uh, like six years ago or something a long time ago. And there was this big uh, outside the skateboard shop. There's this big poster thing. And it was like, you know, like a ad, like somebody skateboarding or whatever. But on it, there were these weird, colorful creatures painted. And I was like, what is that? So I asked the owner of the skateboard shop and he's like, that's Lucas Buford. And he showed me. And this dude's not massive, you know, throwing around Instagram numbers sounds stupid, but it's it's in my mind, it helps people gain a perspective on like how big somebody is. Not that it's always accurate. Right. So I just want to throw that out there. Anyways, dude's got like 80 ish thousand or something. So he's big but definitely not like massive. Right. Anyways, those I I was drawn to. And I was like, I really, really like this art. Like, this is so cool. And so I paint on photos that I take a lot. I'll take a picture of something. Like I took a picture of a sign that was like a beware of dog sign on someone's fence when I was in Florida a couple uh, couple years ago. And then I painted a monster. So 
So it looked like it was holding the beware of dog sign. It's like one of my favorite paintings <laughs> I've ever done, you know, but, but anyway, so I, I pulled it from him. So as time went on, I did get better and I noticed, okay, well my line work and everything's really clean because I use small brushes and my hand has become steady over time. But what really clicked with me was Lucas Buford's my favorite artist. He's very successful. His art wouldn't be hard to recreate. It's not good from that aspect. It's not like doing hyper-realism or something. Mm -hmm. He's drawing kind of silly looking things. Look at Keith Haring. His art's not good. Not when it comes from technical ability, it's not good, or at least not the stuff I've seen from him. Doesn't mean it isn't actually good, right? right? It's all perspective on that. And so it made it kind of click with me that it's not necessarily about whether or not somebody else could recreate what I've done. In fact, you look at like the Mona Lisa, dude, like a lot of people have painted identical paintings and that they're not worth anything, you know, because they're not original. Right. But the originality of it is something that's really important. So my art is unique to me. I think if you look at something that I did, you can tell I did it when you look at art and I compare it to Lucas in that way. He's like, I'm a big fan of his and I'm like, well, that's basically what he's doing. His art, you can tell is his, it wouldn't necessarily be hard to do, but I love it. So it started to eventually click with me over time. Why? Okay. Maybe my art doesn't suck. Maybe there is a reason that people actually like this and I should be okay with it and I should start to have pride in it. And then I got selected to do my first mural, which is the one I got second in that's downtown uh, behind shift. And then after that, now I've been paid to do a couple big murals right now. I'm working on a huge one. I'm like 70 hours into it. And that's <laughs> not including a different part of a different wall in the same building that I painted. So over a hundred hours into this building. Part of it is I paint slow, but, but anyway, it's been doing that for a long time. And so that's kind of evolved all the way to that point. And one more thing quick, I know I'm going on forever, about no, no Buford, but um, I DM'd him the other day and this comes back to again not having huge numbers or anything because i don't but enough that it's like this is okay i'll pay attention to this it's not a new profile right i dm'd him and actually started talking to him the other day he's over in france and i bought an original painting from him awesome yeah and he like gave me a pretty sweet hookup on it like it's only an eight by ten but it's not a print it's an original painting and he shipped it from france and he only charged me like 300 euro for it which for an original painting from somebody like that's not that expensive again i don't have money that was a lot of money for me <laughs> but anyways really excited because i got to talk to him and, and order an original painting from him and he said he'd come on the show he's actually going to be in la um well he's in la right now but i was saying like if we're ever in la at the same time and he's like yep so that's the goal he's like a dream guest of mine i think that's actually gonna happen it's just when the timing lines up right i haven't wanted to fly anywhere like lately because i don't want to spend any money because i don't have any money um and i got stuck over in europe uh with covid this past summer yeah, no, so i'm you. really gun shy about like flying too many places i just don't want to get stuck somewhere again right. that was the worst experience ever yeah i was supposed to be in florida a couple weeks ago and for work and part of me it sucks that it was canceled because i get to see a lot of people i normally don't see that i used to work with yeah at the same time flying to orlando for three days and you're up early stay up late and then fly back and have to jump back in the work cycle it's like you know it's not so bad i don't like flying anywhere for a short <laughs> period of time i hate that especially if it's those are your off days now you're just running yeah. it's very draining it's not too bad for us it's the whole company gets together it's arrive sunday afternoon evening and sure. fly out wednesday morning but still yeah. flying is draining i'm going for 10 days and it's just vacation i've been like way overloading myself with stuff to do including like doing this today i'm like 
I've been doing stuff since 9 a.m., which is what I'm like a lot of times, but I'm like, dude, now it's like 10 o'clock or something. Like I've been yeah. going and yeah. it's just, I'm trying to like pack everything in so that way I can actually shut my brain down when I get down there. Cause I'm horrible about that. You know, when you own a business, you can always work on stuff, mm-hmm. always stuff to do. I can always just do stuff for my phone for work too. So I know I'll do some when I'm down there, but I'm trying to over, overload myself to get a lot of stuff done. So that way I can justify like, all right, you need a vacation. You can just sit on the beach and like, it's cool. Right. So that's my plan is hopefully I'll actually be doing that slash hanging out with Wayne. I gotta go see him. Yeah. The only thing I'm planning on really now potentially is, uh, might take a little road trip out to Montana this oh, July. Cool. There's, never, a, there's a few bucket list interviews I'd love to do if sure. I can get a hold of them. Sure. And well, one of the guys I've, he, I've been following his company for years, mm-hmm. you know, probably early two thousands. Yeah. And it turns, I, this was happening, you know, pop onto his profile because I was trying to find something to show somebody and so was, he you know has following you know or both people are following whatever yeah, the hell sure. it's called and it's like holy shit yeah. <laughs> he listened to my show what the hell <laughs> yeah, yeah wild that's awesome man yeah. I mean I have a bunch of dream guests for sure Lucas being one of them Andrew Reynolds like my all time want to get that guy he's a big name pro skateboarder he was in the first uh, Tony Hawk's game mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah so he's one that I want to go on I had never gone on a road trip the first first furthest I had ever driven was to St. Louis um, until last year because of COVID I finally started traveling the country my own country I always thought like well to go to Florida with how much you spend going out to eat and all that stuff like you can go to Europe and spend the same amount of money really right so I've from a fairly young age I would take my vacations overseas places that's why when I'm like name dropping Japan or where you know wherever it really doesn't cost more to go there than it costs to go to Florida right so but but so I hadn't really traveled too much within the country when all of a sudden everything is shut down. I'm not working either. I went on a bunch of road trips and I, I drove with my, with my friend, Allison, we went to 17 States together. We drove, I drove from here all the way to Seattle, with my friend Kim, and then flew back. I drove from here to Colorado to go camping and back. I drove from here to Utah and back to uh, from here all the way to Florida and back. And then, uh, also flew, I guess, to Arizona to go see Grand Canyon and do all that yeah. type of stuff. But dude, I've been driving. Like I've road trips are fun and I'd never gone on one until well, they, last they year. They were a lot easier when I was in my twenties. Now I'm 33 going on 34 this year. Oh dude, we're like pretty close in age. Yeah. I turned 32 in May. So yeah. I'm right there I've with you. road tripped out to Massachusetts, down to New Orleans, Pennsylvania, Denver once. Yeah. Yeah. Denver's tight. I want to get out to the East coast though. Yeah. I mean like I, I went Denver's like South Carolina and down. But I, I want to get up to, you know, New Hampshire and Massachusetts and like, yeah. I want to go do the Boston thing and check out all that. Yeah. Back in 2019, flew out to Denver and then road tripped into Utah. Oh, cool. And my buddies were getting married. So over a course of five days, we hit seven national parks. Yeah, I mean, it's gorgeous. I was yeah. out there. I was out there with my girlfriend and saw arches and Canyonlands and stuff. We went to Moab when it was 110. Yeah. <laughs> it was miserable. I mean, it was beautiful, but it was miserable. So we need we need to go again. That was she dropped the ball on that one. She she planned that trip. I'll throw her under the bus. She planned that trip because I had planned the previous trip, and uh, it was the week before we were going, and we were looking at the forecast, and I'm like, hun should we just not go? And she's like, well, I paid for the campsites. I was like, we could just go to Colorado. (laughs) It's like, we basically take the same trip. We sacrifice what you spent on the campsites, like 40 bucks a night or whatever. So we throw away 160 bucks or whatever it was. But 
but like we could go on mountaintops where it's like 70. <laughs> sure you don't want to do that? <laughs> But she's like, well, I really want to see Mall app. And I was like, fine. So we went and immediately regretted it. It was like, this was a mistake. Yeah, I was out there in October. And it was, you know, 60s, 70s during the day. Not so bad, but it dropped down below freezing overnight. We're doing the, you know, the glamping. It's it's a fancy tent, Mm -hmm. canvas tent with a queen size bed. Yeah. And woke up the next morning at like five because it is freezing fucking cold out. And like, this was a stupid idea. Thank God the rest of the places are Airbnb. Dude. So we, we got there in the first place was literally in a parking lot like she didn't know it was that and but it was it was straight up a parking lot we were parked at or when we were just at tent camping um outside of moab like between moab and arches between yeah. the city you know so it was horrible we stayed there one night we we're like over it this sucks um but we went to saw canyon lands mm-hmm. and up there it was like 15 bucks a night or something for those campsites no running water or anything you know just an outhouse but still beautiful and like two minute walk to the edge of the major canyon or mm-hmm. one of them anyways where that where that was the opposite part now what i'm getting at is way too hot to do anything during the day it was miserable but once it got dark it was perfect we sat there on the edge of the canyon with like music and beers for like four hours like two in the morning we were sitting out there like under the stars yeah gorgeous nobody around that was that was magical and incredible but the the day sucked right (laughs) yeah it's yeah that's that was the only benefit of being there when it was obnoxiously hot nobody was around and that night it was really cool i've taken up close to two hours of your time (laughs) can wrap this one up here uh if folks want to check out the show or check out your instagram and whatever else where can they where can they best find you if you just search passion pod it'll pop up don't go passion podcast because you'll find a bunch of jesus stuff (laughs) you know if you're a christian that's great do your thing i don't have a problem with it but that's not what my show is um it's just passion pod on instagram it's just passion pod it's a little skull and mic logo should pop up if you look on uh spotify or on apple it's passion pod it'll pop right up i mean there's done been enough seasons that it, it populates high enough usually youtube is brand new for me so i have like hardly go subscribe that would be tight because i have like 50 or something it's like brand new um this last season i was a test i brought a camera that i didn't know how to use and set it up and told each of my guests i don't even know if i'll use this video so it's very half-assed but last season's on youtube now moving forward everything i'm recording right now bought a nice new camera that's all video youtube is going to be a big platform for me i haven't promoted it heavy yet until all my old episodes are uploaded with just like static images you know Mm -hmm. like my logo or whatever once all that's up then i'll push heavy on youtube because i think youtube is really dope um but you can find me on youtube passion pod it you'll find me if you look hard enough you know um but otherwise if you uh instagram is the platform i don't use facebook i can't keep up with it because i already have facebook for my store and then i have my instagram for my shop and and there's too many things so instagram is the spot it's just passion pod like i said it's a little skull and mic logo i am very active on there i do check all my requests and everything and unless you just ask me for something that's stupid or you send me a <laughs> hi well i don't respond to those because 
usually they're bots and they're stupid. So, but if you ask me literally anything, I will see it and I will respond. So that's the best way to communicate with me. Please hit me up. You can also find uh, my website, passionpod.org. I'm not good at websites, so it's pretty blah, but uh, there are, there is cool merchandise and stuff on there that you can order. Um, on Patreon is like the main thing. I think you guys use a Patreon too. It's patreon.com slash passion pod. There's bonus episodes. I do catching up episodes, which you might actually want to do with your guests. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, just hit up somebody who's already been on the show and then you can do it via zoom 20 minutes. What's happened since the episode, you know, when you listen to an episode, you want to know what's happened with that person. So it's kind of interesting. So got those on there. There's some bonus episodes and I post extra content plus do lots of giveaways and stuff. So that's the easiest way to like support the show financially. If you want to be cool like that, that would be really tight. Um, but really just like go check out the show, listen to it on Apple, hit me up on Instagram. That's the best or stop in my shop. If you live in the Chippewa yeah. Valley passion board shop, it's open 12 to six every day, but Sunday, um, not the moment, but will be March 1st, the whole rest of the year. I'm in there pretty often still. So you can come see me there. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories. What it looks like with the outside of your shop. I've had people tell me I got to go check it out. So oh, it's cool. on my list. It's, so. it's a unique store. You, if, if you've been inside of it, you will remember that you were inside of it. The, the closest thing that I can describe would be like the rainforest cafe. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it looks like a city overgrown by trees that grow skateboards it's like really over the top so yeah i'm pretty over the top myself so you could kind of expect it but yeah you can come see me there well awesome man thank you again for doing this appreciate it yeah absolutely this was fun thank you again everyone for taking the time to tune in this week and each and every other week whether you're on an audio only platform or you're checking out the youtube channel keep up to date with future guests live recordings and new episodes by following the show on facebook or instagram at rules the arena podcast and many of you have asked how can you help out first and foremost if you'd be so kind head over to apple Podcasts, audible spotify wherever you're listening and drop a little five-star review and make sure to leave a comment on there let me know what you think of the show and if you'd like uh share it with your friends family even just a share to your instagram story or on facebook it really does help me out and if you head over to rules you can see the new line of hats t-shirts tank tops sweatshirts you know even though spring's right around the right around the corner i like to wear sweatshirts at the gym year round just me and don't forget don't go check out my other show called no story left behind i do have new episodes of that coming up here very soon i promise i know it's been on the back burner for way too long just life's been a little crazy getting back to it i promise that is released on its own feed wherever you find your favorite podcasts i also have the episodes on youtube as well it's under the roa channel just click on the nslb playlist and if you have any comments questions concerns show ideas or would like to be a guest on the show feel free to shoot me an email gordon at blindninjastudios.com rules of the arena and no story left behind are produced and distributed by blind Ninja studios go check the the other shows out and follow them on facebook and instagram at blind ninja or excuse me at blind ninja studios and on twin twitter blind underscore ninja thank you everyone and i'll catch you next time